This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? Sequels suck. Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's all about money, boys! Here we go again. The name's Agatha Harkness. Lovely to finally meet you, dear. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Franchise Fatigue. This is a show where we explore film series one movie at a time. Uh, although we have been changing that up here, we are on the second episode of WandaVision, where we're going to be covering uh, the five uh, final episodes of this season. We covered the first four on the last episode. I'm your co-host, James Hamrick, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, Gabe Green, along with a special guest this week, Drew Dodgen. Howdy, howdy. Hey. What's up, James? Nothing much. How are you? I'm doing all right, and uh, welcome back to Franchise Fatigue, Drew. Uh, thank you. For, thank you for having me back. Yeah, so we had you on way back in the MCU with uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah. That feels... It, it was it was probably just a little over a year ago, but it feels like forever. I think it was like a year and a half. Maybe. Did, did we take that long? I guess we... That was, it, was, it was before COVID. Uh, phase three. Phase three took longer than everything else, I think. Yeah. But today, as uh, James said, we are doing this our second episode on uh, WandaVision and talking about the last five episodes. But before we talk about that, I want to ask you guys, if you enjoy the show, to please take a moment to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review and subscribe while you're at it. And we'll be very much appreciative. So we already talked about all the behind the scenes uh, drama and whatnot in the previous episode. So we will just dive right into this because uh, these last five episodes are pretty meaty and I expect this one to be pretty long. Uh, but actually, before that, I want to ask you, Drew, since you weren't here last week, mm -hmm. what were your, th your thoughts on the first four episodes? Did you uh, like the sitcom setting or were you one of the ones, one of the people uh, getting antsy about, you know, how, how long it took to reveal some mysteries? So when we were I was first watching this back in February, uh, I was a little put off after the first two episodes because it felt like we weren't. I could, I, I, for whatever reason, at first, I just could not buy into it when I was first watching it. By the end of episode three, I was hooked. Going back and watching it again, I see, I actually enjoyed the first two episodes a lot more. And are you much of a sitcom watcher? Like, were you familiar I, with what they're going for? I grew up watching sitcoms. Um, I, I recognize the Dick Van Dyke references in the first episode and the bewitched references in the second. And even though I am not a big fan of Brady Bunch, I caught them all in that one too, uh, in the third episode. So yeah, I, I, I love, I grew up watching old sitcoms. In fact, on ironically, that's mostly what I watched growing up was old sitcoms. So, okay. All right. So uh, moving into uh, the first episode we'll be talking about, this was episode five called On a Very Special Episode. This one was written by Peter Cameron and uh, and uh, Mackenzie Doer. So this is the 80s slash 90s episode. You're the guest, Drew. So you first. What did you think about this one? I liked how it leaned into the trope of the 80s and 90s. Very special episodes where they would deal with the uh, more hard hitting uh, or in sometimes controversial matters instead of the normal comedy the sitcom would go through. And I should probably mute my phone before it goes <laughs> off again. And, uh, and it makes it makes sense for this because uh, I don't know if y'all touched on it, but a lot of what this show is dealing with actually is grief. And this is like hitting right on the fact that this is the first point where Wanda actually has to deal with uh, 
anybody, well, I say anybody dying. This is the point where she actually faces it, I think, for the first time, because everything else, she's kind of distracted herself in a way. And it all comes down to that. Uh, well, when uh, Sparky uh, dies and she has to explain to her two sons why that's a not a bad thing, I guess, is mm-hmm. way, the best way to put that. And so I, I like that. Uh during the uh, one of the things I've loved so far has been the the opening theme songs, and this one, of course, is straight oh. out of Growing Pains. It's so, so cheesy, and I it, love it. It's cheesy and great, and I my favorite part of this is Baby Vision. <laughs> because here's the thing: it was so awesome. Was a, par- so awesome. a part of me thinks this really should be Tony working over an AI. That would be funnier, or not funnier, <laughs> but that that's more appropriate. But it's like, no, no, that's the vision this is vision this is all within her weird continuity in her little in her little sub uh continuity here so yeah it needs to be a baby version baby synthesoid uh so it, it it was that was a hilarious shot the first time i watched it my, my um, favorite vision here was him as the you know the, the lovable 80s dad he has the the jeans and the button oh, yes. shirt the flannel so, good. <laughs> so much fun oh uh, yes <laughs> um what oddity i noticed is that this uh this episode is in 16 by 9 aspect ratio whereas tv throughout through the 80s and most of the 90s even going a little bit into the 2000s that was it was still being broadcast in a four by three um yeah but sorry go ahead i was just gonna say in a lot of cases though uh as long as it was a expense uh, uh more money was put into the show a lot of times they were filming on regular film and so if you go back and look at the dvds which she might have been more referencing than the original broadcasts they might be the four by the uh, 16 by nine i thought about that but however this wandavision is a broadcast show so <laughs> letterboxing it's a detail Yes, it's a little detail, but it did kind of take me out. Um, that's the that's the clue in, is that she's 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 just it's what she's familiar with. The, the thing is, when you know. when you get to the next two, the the Malcolm in the Middle and Office episodes, which is how I think of them, uh, they that the sixteen by nine is actually what they would have been. Those shows were broadcasting, so it makes more sense there. But here, it does it does kind of throw you off because you're expecting it to be a four by three. Yeah. Um, I'm very disappointed in you, Matt Shackman. Uh, <laughs> so this one, you have the frazzled new parents with the crying babies. Um, and a little moment that's a comedy moment, but also it's telling where she tries to put them to sleep, which is, sounds terrible, but, but they, they don't obey her magic. Yeah. Um, she's like, why won't you do what I want? Um, which is all very, very creepy, uh, but kind of a hint at, how their nature is different, just like uh, just like vision. Yeah. Why, why do we think that the creatures like that are created from her don't obey her, whereas people that aren't her do? Is uh, is there ever any kind of reason given for that? Or is that just their, their nature is different? I don't. I, sorry, go ahead, James. I was just gonna say I think that we're gonna get the answer to that in Doctor Strange. Yeah, is th- that a. I think is the, that like post credit scene at the end of, of the series, you know, with mm-hmm. her hearing that her kids cry out. I think we're going to be delving into the, the nature of these things that she conjures up more there. So I have a I have a question. 
Do you want me to bring in what I know about the comics with these characters? Off I be that guy. Okay. <laughs> well, I don't know how, because that could technically <laughs> no, be a go spoiler. Ahead. I have no idea. Uh, so, yeah. So, yeah. Be, uh, when uh, in the comics, when Billy and Tommy came about, uh, they only actually existed when Wanda was thinking about them because they were act. This is why everyone was claiming Mephisto was around the corner because they are actually <laughs> parts of Mephisto in the comics. And okay. As, well, I guess those theories became a little less silly in my head. It's that's that's the primary reason people kept bringing it up. The I don't know why they thought Mephisto was actually going to show up in the show because that would have completely detracted from what the show was doing. But but yeah, that's that's the reasoning why people were jumping on that. And so they they are there's they they have souls that are separate from the continuity. Yeah, and and I guess the, the fact that they do exist out, outside of the hex in, in some regards, like she hears them, so mm-hmm. we'd, well, we're gonna have to get some kind of answer as far as their um their nature. But it, that was interesting, just how Vision and them seem to be outside of her control, which is obviously very important for the drama for Vision at least. Yeah. Um. And we're gonna very very soon lose uh, Agnes as the fun nosy neighbor. So I did want to highlight. Just when uh, we was like, maybe we just need more help. And Agnes bursts in, you know, hiya, kids. Yeah. I love that she has her own little musical sting when she comes in. Um, and I, I'll have some complaints about her later on in the show. But again, she is just so perfect when she's playing this heightened and she gets every era right. Mm-hmm. That's just on my way to jazzercise. Uh. <laughs> Which is interesting considering she's not under Wanda's control either, though Wanda doesn't realize it. And so she is she somehow, rem- I guess she's remembering from when she lived through these eras herself. Uh, that or maybe just just tapping into Wanda's programming just enough. Or True. It, and th- there's that moment where Vision turns down her offer for help and it flusters her because it's unscripted. So she kind of breaks character and asks uh, uh, Wanda if she wants to try that again. Um, See, I-, I was wondering if uh, that was her just kind of playing into the glitches because uh, I, glitches is what I, I've been calling it every time the the show breaks down and it's and it has to restart somewhat or she reverses time or whatever. Uh but when outside of every other glitch in the show, this is the only one where there's no effect with it. It's just her reacting. Uh, the, 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 the filmmaking does change. It goes from like the wide multi-camera to these like single close-ups. Yeah. Like that. And then it uh, switches back once it, once the, the conflict is resolved. But, um, but my- dealing with that and what goes on in the next episode, I wonder if she's playing into it more to try and, get more get more under wanda's skin yeah yeah like i i think she is she's def she's just trying to stir the pot i guess and and shove at the edges of of this reality to get wanda to to wake up and or Mm -hmm. just try to break her down because she's always like whether it's killing sparky or or or, um various other things i'm blanking on but it feels like she is or sending uh ralph boner to um to, to per- pretend to be your brother, she is yeah. like actively just poking at Wanda. Like to, I'm, a, I'm assuming the reason is to just figure out the truth or get Wanda to break down or something like that. That felt like an entirely, a thing that was entirely on Agnes or Agatha 
and she was she was messing up the scene on purpose to get Wanda to think. I can see that. Yeah. Uh, then uh, we turn around, and then the newborns are five year olds, and I I love how, especially in this episode, how we get like the emotional you know piano music that like really manipulative thing they would use, uh, particularly in this era. And so, like, it's this ridiculous, like, crazy thing happening, but the show is playing it off as just one of the cheesy emotional moments in an 80s sitcom. And Agnes is, like, tear, you know, tearfully musing, kids, you can't control them no matter how hard you try. Mm-hmm. Which is, like, both meta and it fits into this just ridiculous, yeah. cheesy emotional moment we're having. And you have the laugh track with all the oohs and the ahs and... I I love how they play, you know, between the you know the uh, interior reality of the show and just the weirdness that is you know uh, these creatures that Wanda's created. Yeah, and so and in this episode is where we we break. Uh, I guess we break away from just having sitcom episodes. We're flashing between the you know, the outside world with uh, Jimmy Woo and Darcy and uh, what's her name Monica. Mm-hmm. And then back inside, and the aspect ratio and color grading is changing. I, I love, love that. that I love all that. It, it's yeah. a it's a great it's a great technique to help you remember. Okay, we're in the TV now. We're in the quote unquote real world. Now we're back to the TV, it, 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 and you know it instantly when mm-hmm. it happens. My, my favorite parts are where they switch between them and just kind of slides in into the sides of yeah. the top. That's always great. Um, then we get on the outside, we're getting like a history lesson as uh, as they're kind of going over all the um, crazy events she's been in <laughs> uh, Wu's line and over an oversimplification of events. But yes, yes, I just <laughs> became a, a fantastic meme. Um, does Maximoff have an alias? No, sir. Not a, no funny nickname. Not a one. I, I kind of wish they didn't point it out as bad as they did, though, that they had <laughs> never said her comic book character identity uh, what, what is y'all y'all guys feeling on that as far as as far as you know whether or not they use their does it bother you and they don't because several characters have never been um never been named i'll be honest most of the time when they have like i did not even realize wanda hadn't gone by scarlet witch yet until this episode so and I get, and I, I assume that Pietra has not gone by Quicksilver either, uh, back in Ultron. But honestly, I'm all, most of the time I haven't even noticed that they've not used the characters. And for the most part, one of the things I like about Marvel is I think about these more by their human names than I do their superhero aliases, which is one thing I like because uh, Marvel is about humans having to step into the shoes of gods to fight all this stuff. Yeah, and yeah. I think. Oh, go ahead, James. I was just gonna say I, I'm kind of in the same, the same area where, whenever it, it was whenever he asked, I was like, wait a second, I I guess we haven't because like, in my like whenever I see her, I'm like, oh yeah, that's Wanda, that's Scarlet Witch, we all mm-hmm. we all know that, and it's it's just kind of been, I've just assumed surely at some point, uh, but yeah, it and it I like Drew like it hasn't. I guess because I haven't noticed it, it hasn't bothered me. And yeah, like whenever people ask, like, oh, who's your favorite? I'm I'm more likely to say like Tony Stark than I am to yeah. say Iron Man. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's I don't know. I'm sure that there are people all around the world upset about it, but for me, I'm like, ah, it, I don't mind it. 
Yeah, I'm guessing it's up to the writers because like it, a lot of them have their comic book names and a lot of them don't. And there, there is always a danger when assigning a comic book name that it just sounds really cheesy. I'm thinking, or this is this isn't a comic book, but in Star Wars, like where they give Han Solo his name, you're just like, just please stop. <laughs> or, uh, or in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, have you have you seen this, Drew? I've watched all or, of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I am you, James. I am caught up on Marvel. Have you seen it, James? Uh, I have not finished it yet. Okay. Well, the, the U.S. agent name reveal is That's, just so bad. Yeah. In that. They could like, they could have left that out. <laughs> and, and even here, where it's like, you know, this is chaos magic. You're the Scarlet Witch. And like, cool. What's a Scarlet Witch? Like, it doesn't. It doesn't really mean a lot. And I think that that's always a little bit of a danger when you say, like, the name, like, as if we're supposed to know it's like a con from Star Trek Into Darkness. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, well, I, I have mixed reactions to the con re- re- reveal, but that's neither here nor there. Well, so, well, I guess we'll get to it in that episode. I actually didn't mind the, the Scarlet Witch reveal in this one. I didn't either. I don't hate it, but it's just like, cool. Good, what does that even mean? Well, I mean, it had a good lead up, which we'll get to. The commercial for the Lagos paper towels, I particularly enjoyed. That's what's interesting about the way they shot these commercials is I noticed during this viewing since, oh, I'd already seen these commercials. I actually reached towards the my controller to fast forward. So I remembered, wait, wait, this is part of the show. <laughs> so they're shot well enough that they're very accurate to how those, those commercials are. Um, yeah. And of course, oh, it's when you... When you make an act, uh, when you need to clean up an accident, you didn't mean to make. Oh, and husbands, yeah. and husbands can use it too. <laughs> yeah, I love them. Yeah, Lagos obviously being the uh, yes, uh, the, the opening of Civil War where she accidentally blows up a building. Yeah, uh, it was Crossbones fault. But, such uh, a such a good use of it too. <laughs> These accidents. Well, you know. yes, it was it was cr- uh, cross uh, Crossbones. I think I didn't said the wrong name, but yeah, it is his fault. But uh, very much uh, John Hurt's character, whose name is blanking on me right now, uh, pretty much lays the whole thing on her when, when you get yeah Thunderbolt. I, I, I don't know why I couldn't think of that. Maybe because Hulk wasn't in that movie and he's a Hulk character. But anyway, um, I lost my train of thought. You said he lays it on her. Yeah, he lays it on her pretty thick. Almost like it's her fault all this happened even though there was extenuating circumstances and she was already thinking that too yeah so she took that hard and even at that point i don't i don't know how many years how much time in between civil war and age of ultron there is but she's probably still coming off of uh pietro's death at that point that, that, that th- throughout this episode we have vision is actively starting to question this reality he's in i love the, after they find they find out the dog he's like just a precaution. I had a hunch someone might pop over with exactly the item we require. Mm-hmm. Uh, like he's, he's noticed the the world, um, and like at the office when they're unpacking the computers, and somehow the sword communicate comes through, and everyone starts reading it together. Yes. So, what do you? Th- for, my theory is like. That's like Wanda noticing that happening and like focusing all her mind on it. So therefore all the people as well are. Um, but then that's just a really great, creepy scene. Yeah. yeah. And I love the, they're actually using real Commodore 64s. 
for the computers. <laughs> although, oh, really? Although the placement of the uh, uh, the uh, the floppy disks uh, where they've got it, I don't think that's a smart place because that's like right over the vent of the disk drive. <laughs> so <laughs> I those don't know nothing my, about that. I, I, I found this out by watching a YouTube video and I, I appreciate that's the thing I lo- I've loved about WandaVision is the appreciation is the I appreciate how much of the detail that they go into in a lot of this stuff, even though technically it doesn't quite line up the way it would. The, the, the words on the screens don't line up quite the way they would on an actual Commodore 64. So but they're close. Mm-hmm. Um, And the guy he talks to. um. Is that Norm or is the guy with the mustache Norm? That's Norm. That's Norm. Yeah. Who's the guy with the mustache? I don't remember his name. <laughs> okay. Um, but he's talking to him. And like, there's a really great moment of acting from that guy where he's going into the panic. Like, you know, she's in my head. None of it's my own. It hurts so much. And then he touches his head. Mm-hmm. And like, he goes midstream from the panic to switching just to the, the smile, the yes. sitcom smile. And, and, the, and the corny joke. And it's like, you believe he actually... Th- Thought, you, you can believe that entire sequence happens the way it is. Yeah, it's a really good moment. It's not like a, a cheesy little, like, and then he's like that now. It's, and I, I think it that moment really works because he really sells the pain, which I was also, like, really happy with. It was like, there are consequences here. Like, it, these people are hurting, you know, because of what's going on. And I think in that moment, you really buy his sense of panic and, and hurt. So that whenever he does go into like, this is an '80s goofball character. It's like, wait a second, this just feels off. Like it's it's a bit unnerving. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason that he's at the office because her kids ask her like, you know, why is he at work? It's it's Saturday. It's like, no, it's Monday. Well, like, no, it's Saturday. It's like, well, your father needed a distraction, and like she changed <laughs> the date so that her so that Vision had to go to work. So he would stop asking questions. Yeah. And yet that vision didn't even think about that. He just found himself at work and went with it. Well, mm-hmm. that's something that I really like. It was too. a commercial break, you know? Well, yeah. You you move around. Yeah. Something Time that jumps. I really like about that is that even despite being more like even despite growing aware of the situation, he's still trapped to some extent to like these machinations like i think of the you know the office episode where it's like wait a second why why am i even talking to you <laughs> he's like yeah what's what's good it, like it's cool that even like, or when, like in the, the first episode where he's at work like what do we do here yeah like he's he's been clocking in he's he's been there long enough for everybody to know his name and he knows everybody else and it's it's just what he does and so the fact that like the these are you know these the sitcom gimmick kind of thing it's it's not just it's not just this kind of fun window dressing. It's the, these actual barriers that he's having to try to navigate. And another interesting moment where, where um, one of the twins asked, you know, do you have a brother, mom? He's like, I do. He's far away. And that makes me sad. It's like in this reality, she's even blocked out her brother's loss. Um, Going back to, I think it was episode three where uh, yeah. she kind of remembered, wait, I was a twin, it, but it never gets to the point of he's dead. Like she's, she has a couple happy memories of it, but she's like blocked off what's happened to him, um, which I guess is kind of why 
uh, Agnes was able to just have someone waltz in and she kind of went along with it for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the way this episode plays with what Wanda knows, what she's um, like, what she's kind of unaware of, what she is kind of guilty of. Uh, like, there's there's a level of cognizance she has of what she's doing. Like by, I mean, she's rewound time at this point. She threw Monica out of here. She changed the date. But there's still things that she's confused of and is blocked out. And and I even love like when, when Sparky dies and you know what you're talking about earlier, Drew, where she's giving this lesson. It's like she's fully aware of what one is supposed like how one handles grief and what one is supposed mm-hmm. to do. And like I love that in, in the episode where she it doesn't even feel like it it's a it's a symptom of denial, but it's not her like being explicitly aware of oh he died it's like this is just something that she's blocked off and so in the same episode that she's kind of struggling with this memory that she doesn't like that she's kind of removed access to from herself is it's happening within the same episode where she's like well listen death happens and we've got to be able to learn from it and it's like there's a lot of it's not just oh she knows everything going on and she's manipulating everything but it's also like she's you know she's lost to an extent in a lot of it as well it's it's mm-hmm. cool trying to figure out where what she's privy to exactly well it's it seems like throughout most of the show there seems to be like there's two different wandas there's the wanda that's controlling everything and then wanda the character in the sitcoms and the Wanda in the sitcoms knows far less about what's going on than the Wanda controlling everything. Yeah, and and the line between the two gets thinner and thinner as the show goes. But I, and I think it's speaking to to just how rather shallow and stupid so many of these very special episodes were in their handling of this this subject matter. To where, like, sure, she knows all the words in her head, but there's so much hypocrisy in you know, in telling her kids, you know. This you know you can't fix death. You just have to live with it. While she's in the world, speaking to her fake children that she created as a way to get around, get around death. And again, you have, you have the the emotional music and all that stuff. Are we going to talk about when Reed Richards showed up? Oh, I wish. <laughs> yeah, that line does happen here. The whole aerospace engineer thing that uh, ends that- up kind of going nowhere. <laughs> I thought there was more into that than there was. Is is Reed Richards able to morph into other people with his? I think uh, it depends on the writers. Uh, it, yeah, and I admittedly have not read much Fantastic Four, so, okay, so I, there's still, I couldn't tell you. There's still a possibility that that uh, major Goodner we believe. is uh, Reed Richards. <laughs> still possible. It's more likely it's Sue Storm in disguise, no, no, but no. sure, it's Reed Richards. <laughs> we decided it was Reed Richards. The internet wielded into existence. In my thought, in, in my head canon, which immediately could change the minute they actually tell us what's going on, I don't think the Fantastic Four have their powers yet. So, uh, well, yeah, they're coming. We'll see. We'll see how, oh, how they're handled. Oh yes, we'll see. I just, I just don't think we've seen any of them yet. And so, th- and then we have the uh, the confrontation between Wanda and Sword. Hayward decides that he's done playing the good guy, and he shoots a missile at. A woman and her children. Uh, yeah, that's, that's wise. Who he is. That's the smart move. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, her. Her. Just like 
stalking out of the hex in her Avengers suit, dragging the drone. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, we just messed up. We messed oh, up that. I love that part so much. As somebody who yeah. continually wanted to just be like, let this be about Wanda and her grief. Let her be the pseudo bad guy for part of this. Mm-hmm. Just like, I, whenever she, the fact that she finally steps out and is in her, you know, her regular clothes and because I, I was like, is, is there something about like, did she cause the hex? Is she, is she only helping it, but is also like subject to it? But the fact that she is able to like walk out, be under her own, you know, there, there's there's no external forces acting on her, and she's just like, take your drone and leave me alone, and like chooses to go back into it. I'm like, yes, this is awesome. Yeah, I feel like she has as much knowledge as she wants to, like she could completely disappear into her sitcom role. And like in those moments, I believe that she doesn't really know what's happening, but that she kind of draw herself out of it and remember everything when she needs to go and, you know, yeah. threaten some uh, guys. And, and the, the shot of just the, the lasers and the way they all kind of swing over to Hayward. Oh, which, so remi- which reminded me of the first X-Men movie. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and then we, a lot happens in this episode. Then towards the end, we have the big fight where um, Vision finally oh, I love uh, scene. confronts her. And Paul Bettany earned his Emmy that he better win. Yes. Um, that dude is amazing. I just love how she immediately tries to bring everything to an end by rolling the credits of the show. Mm-hmm. And he just was, he keeps coming at her until they finally go into the other room. And the music even does the whole record slowdown thing. I- <laughs> Which was like that, which is which is great, and they're still going off of. At that point, you know they're kind of in the glitched part of the show because they're uh, they're levitating. the The magic is not the cheesy special effects; it's the full on special effects, and it's just like, okay, yeah, are we going to get a fight or is something going to happen? Obviously, something's got to happen because there's three more four more episodes after this. So. Uh, mm-hmm. But I mean, it's like, okay, yeah, this is, uh, I, I like seeing this tension here. How are we going to move from the tension to uh, the end of this episode where they're still on the same side somewhat? And that was, was my, was all my thought watching this. And then quite possibly one of my favorite parts of the episode happens. Well, let's talk about this argument first. Um, just, just the, the Paul Bettany is, Phenomenal. He's always been phenomenal. Like he should have gotten an Academy Award nomination back mm-hmm. at like Master and Commander or something. Yes. Uh hell, give you know, give us the best supporting actor for a, a Night's Tale. Like he's he's never never been bad. Like he's usually he, one of the best parts of whatever he's in. He's the greatest and unsung actor of our age. Yeah, when he's just going at you, you don't get to make that choice for me. And he's he's just like I don't. He's just like panicking. I don't even know. What am I? Who am I? What is this thing? I know it's not real. Um, <laughs> a little unintentional comedy when they both levitate off the floor. And the only thing I could think about was in uh, what we do in the shadows. <laughs> when the vampires go up because one of them didn't wash the dishes and they're hissing yeah. at each other on the ceiling. <laughs> what's what's uh, weird amazing. is even though I know they aren't using wire work for that shot, it kind of looks like wire work is being used to levitate them. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's not intentional. <laughs> it just makes me laugh. <laughs> well, I'm glad I didn't think of that at the moment. <laughs> because and now you won't be fun. able to unsee it when you go back to it. Well, well, I'll always have my memory. I 
I honestly think this might have been like my favorite scene of the series. Like, I I got chills whenever I was watching it, uh, because I I really I love the show's ambition. I love everything it was doing. Like to be bold enough to just commit to like three full sitcom-y episodes or no like no it was it was the four four sitcom episodes and then the the one of the three three. three. that's right the fourth was outside Mm -hmm. that's right that's right uh but you know just all they went to commercial break for half for a whole episode (laughs) there you go (laughs) but like all of these cool decisions and it just like every episode there was something it was doing like because even whenever you know we're out there like doing the in the episode episode four just that opening is just it blew me away and here whenever they rolled the credits and she's like openly and explicitly relying on on the tropes and on the facade towards like before like i said earlier it's like what starts out is kind of like this oh it's cool fun window dressing for for this thing but it's, it's becoming so integral to what the show's actually about and she's she's just using all of these fake things to try to protect herself and so letting the argument i thought it was going to cut off after like five seconds but just letting the argument play through and like the with the audio mixing where they're like they're decidedly lower than like the theme music and and just with the way they're mixing the audio where like they're all like their argument is just continuing on but they're almost like drowned out by the music like he's they're shouting because it's an argument, but you're all like, he's just trying to get a word in through the, this theme song that, you know, you'd assume he's he's aware of to some extent, you know, like, I'm sure he's not seeing like the physical credit, but like there's there's some awareness that he has that she's using all of this to try to shut him out. And just, I don't know, everything about that scene, I just, it's so cool. Mm-hmm. And speaking of his awareness, I, there's a, a really small beat, but when the doorbell rings, Vision just glares at her, and it's like I, as if like he expects Agnes to walk in, like like Wanda called Agnes in to avoid the argument, like that that's what's going on in his mind when he hears the doorbell ring. Um, but it isn't Agnes. It is. Nope. Uh, it is. Uh, it's what's a, his name? Quicksilver. It's Quicksilver. Yes. <laughs> Evan I, Peters with his silver hair. Um, can I just say? Yeah, I, when that when when this happened, when I first watched it, my jaw hit the floor because I was not first thing. I ain't expecting anybody from the X Men franchise to even make an appearance in the MCU anywhere, and it's like, oh, it's Pietro. She recast Pietro from the other from the <laughs> other from the movies, and of course, I I, I can't think that, I can't believe anybody out there is not thinking. Is this how they bring in the X-Men into this? And the media, I thought, oh, no, yeah. that doesn't even make sense. That's That doesn't fit what this show's doing, and that would detract. These people have been so good so far about not really pulling away from uh, distracting from what they're doing, that just throwing just throwing uh, Pietro from the other thing is not some weird way to get uh, the X-Men into it. Plus, I still want the X-Men not to show up till Phase 5. But... Um, I, I I realized what they were doing here. First off, it's intentional stunt casting because honestly, everyone who's watched that is if they've kept up with Marvel at all, they know who that is. 
And so, and it's like the perfect storm is like, you could not have done this three years ago and you can't, you, it's not going to make any sense to do it five years from now, because this is the perfect time where you can throw in Quicksilver from another universe and it's still not be Quicksilver and it makes some amount of sense. Plus special guest star. That's another tr uh, classic uh, sitcom trope that would come in. And of course that's going to be more in the next episode, but uh, I love, I loved how it showed up here. It's, I, I was, I was giddy when this, when, when that, when that moment happened, it was just, it was just great. The amount of thoughts that just are swirling through your mind. Like I was watching it like at two in the morning. I, I definitely swore out loud. Like when it, I was like, what on earth? Like, are they bringing Fox X-Men? Um, yeah, which I think that was most people's original thought. And a lot of people were still thinking that uh, towards the end. Let's just get that kind of discussion out of the way. Okay. Like, how do we feel about them pulling our leg like this? Because I know James has some strong feelings mm -hmm. that I disagree with. Um, so I'll, I'll just kind of get mine out of the way first. For me, I think the gag of they recast Pietro is kind of is worth it. Like, I, I'm I'm fine with shows, you know, playing with my emotions like this at least on this level, like it's 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 fun for me. Um, I do think it became a problem once we got past next episode, and we spent and then we had two more episodes before we found out, um, or three more episodes before we found out, like what the actual deal was, and I don't think the reveal was remotely worth the amount of time they dragged it out. I feel like. They should have revealed that he was just a, ta a townsperson at, during Agatha all along, which is the end of next episode. Mm -hmm. I feel like they kind of hurt themselves and, and lost a bit of goodwill with the, from the audience when they just kept dragging it out. Um, I think they should have revealed it right when his character became irrelevant. Um, but I, but personally, I, I still enjoy the gag and Evan Peters is fantastic. So yeah, I'm mostly okay with it with a couple caveats. James. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I, I'm with you in theory, Drew, with your reasons why you didn't want it to be him. Uh, but. And that, and I kind of see most of the multiverse at this point as the biggest red herring MCU is throwing at us. See, cause it kind of has been. And, well, and that's why. Okay. So I've got, there's like two different points that I want to tackle here. The first one is, uh, just the context that this is coming at, like where we're, we know that we're gearing like with the Fox, uh, the, the Fox Disney deal. We know it's now a possibility. Uh, and we know they're going to build towards the X-Men and we've got the multiverse of madness, which WandaVision is in coming up. Oh and, yeah. It's definitely a prequel series too. Yeah. Like it's, so it's within this context. It's, I don't know. To me, it goes a little beyond just, isn't this a funny gag? It's it's like borderline mean-spirited to me. Like, I I like poking fun at people who feel entitled to things and, like, get too upset over little things. Like, I, I'm i usually the person being like, you you people should never have thought that. They could do what they want. Like, that. I, that's usually the camp I'm in. But I do think just because of the timing of it all, it it feels, it just feels kind of mean. Um... <laughs> And, and and so look, that's part of it. I also thought, like I've I've never been one to want 
the people from the Fox X-Men universe to cross over into this universe and be like, I am now this universe's X, Y, or Z, whichever hero or whatever. I just thought that the... And since we already, like, we're already getting Multiverse of Madness and all this stuff, it'd be a cool way to to acknowledge maybe that's how this universe learns about the X gene. You know, that like, well, if this is happening there, is this happening around us? Like, it'll be a way to introduce the X-Men with, but also giving us our own cast of whoever they're going to be without having to, like, now step into our world. It's just, well, if there's X-Men over there, I wonder if, if this is going to be something that we're going to have to deal with. Um, and the way that I thought that they could do it in a way that's not just here, let's do a backdoor pilot for the X-Men within WandaVision was almost like, like a, in a weird, for some reason, it's the first analogy that comes into my head, but it's like Elsa in Frozen where like you, you think you're doing something in a vacuum, but you're creating problems that you're ignorant of. And so I, I thought that what we were going to find out was that she, you know, because ever since her brother was brought up, she's been, and since she can't deny his death, she's trying to find ways of maintaining deniability of his death. And so her, like, she's just reaching across realities and trying to grab onto the closest fit and forcing him to fill that role for her. And so like this, this process that she's in, like this world that she's creating that she thinks is own, isn't having like these far reaching repercussions. She's like tearing at reality. I, and so I thought it was, that's how they were going to tie it into what's going on with, with her and her grief and how she's dealing with it, which is, it's not happening just within this hex. It's not happening within a vacuum. It's, she's actively hurting this like not just our world but worlds beyond ours uh well playing mephisto's advocate for a second uh (laughs) the way the uh multiverse works in marvel comics which does include the mcu everything you're saying could was something they could have technically done it's just i don't think anyone truly wants I mean, they, they Marvel has already stated they were going to have to recast everybody anyway, because almost everyone's contracts in the X-Men movies was up. Uh, let's face it. We're never going to get uh, Hugh Jackman to come back as Wolverine as much as we want him to. And I do think Evan Peters did a great job as Quicksilver in those movies. But I felt like, at least for me anyway, this was like it was a perfect storm. You're not going to be able to get a chance to, to pull that kind of a slap in the face again. And like I said, this is definitely a red herring. This is meant to throw the audience off as much as it is to throw everybody else off. I mean, otherwise, if you lit when you, when I don't don't know if y'all know this, but if you listen to the descriptive audio uh, on the episode where they, where they describe it for uh, uh, the blonde, they actually say, Oh, it's the Pietro from the X-Men movies. And it's like so. Obviously, they are focusing on that uh, him being uh, that actor well, playing that role. But and that's my problem with it. Is because it, I mean the expression you use to me, it, it feels more like a borderline slap in the face than a rug pull or anything. Like it just it feels. And that's kind of what it's supposed to yeah. be. Well, and, I mean, th- that's just like if that's what it is, and I'm like, well, 
I don't know. I, I just don't find it. For me, it just wasn't super funny. It's and as meta as well, the show I mean, is, it's always meta with. It's it, it. There's two layers of the show. There's like the Wandavision sitcom, and then there's the people watching it, and there's all of these meta layers within that. But it's this reveal, the fact that it's Evan Peters, it means nothing to the people within Westview. And then furthermore, it means the Evan Peters bit means nothing to yeah, like. But the Evan the Evan Peters bit though is for us. The fact no, that but that's she what I'm, that's recast what I'm that's the, the fact the first that she re- time the show has done that though, right, which is why the, fir- it feels the fact off yeah is because the fact that she recast him anyway is supposed to be their slap in the face. Now, and honestly, for me, I mean, let's just get this out of the way. I hate his last name. In this show, I think they could have just said, oh, it's Ralph. And we go, oh, okay, yeah, he's the unseen character we ever seen. And then she recast him for Pietro. Okay, that's cool. That makes sense. That's that's the last. And he should have and he should have left after he should have been. He should have just shown up like uh, uh, the lady from the first one that played Mrs. Hart just showed up in the last episode for his little reveal. And then that be it. That's that's the other point I want to make is just. I, I'm not against rug pulls. I love rug pulls. I love red herrings. I love subversions. But whenever it's it for it, like whenever it is that for the sake of being that, it gets a little annoying. Like you've the reveal has to have made it worth it, and we never we we never really got the reveal. Even like the. Like, there, there's never the the moment it was everybody just kind of had the slow realization of oh i so he wasn't that like there wasn't there's never that moment where it's un, until the the ralph reveal so you just have kind of like three episodes of this slow like so are they uh, and like if that's I will, if that's I the punchline is this slow realization it's like well that's not funny and then whenever they actually do play their full hand it's like you waited three episodes so that you could call him Ralph Boner whenever you've already revealed the names of everybody else. And like by ha- by choosing to create like a post credit scene of him finding Monica, uh, I think in the next couple episodes where like it's still the fact that they haven't said his name yet. He's still a character running around like we decided to include him in a post credit scene like it's. I think that was just a way to get Monica out of the way for the next episode rather than have having to have a whole subplot of him kidnapping her in the opening. Yeah. yeah. It was just it's just it more just, story it's just stuff. It felt clumsily done. I don't know. I just overall well, see, like, see the, that that is that is the biggest problem I have with his character. I'll be done quick. <laughs> this is the biggest problem I have with his character after this scene is that he does seem to be clumsily done. Um well, yeah, speak. We'll talk about some of the clumsiness of that finale because there were some reasons for that. But yeah, like I said, I'm I'm cool with it. Aside from how long they drag it out, they drag it out far longer than it's worth. Um, but Evan Peters, fantastic. And, <laughs> I do uh, love him. So uh, next episode is uh, the all new Halloween Spooktacular. This one's written by Chuck Hayward and Peter Cameron. Um. And this is now kind of the 2000s dysfunctional family sitcom type thing. Uh, with that, so I haven't watched any of Malcolm in the Middle. Have y'all? Yeah, I I watched a bunch of it, and uh, back when I back way back in the day, and then I right after I got done watching WandaVision, I went back and watched the three episodes they referenced specifically in uh, episode eight from the other sitcoms, which included this one. So. 
There is that. Uh, so, so is the talking to the camera a thing that happens there? Yeah. For Malcolm, which is why they had uh, Billy do it in this one. Okay. He took on Malcolm's right. role in this movie, in this show, in this episode. All right. So, like, what is the, the what is the musical genre of? <laughs> is that this supposed to be like two thousands rock or like it's, you have like it sounds uh, like preteens? It's super cringy. It's like, it's probably supposed to sound like uh, oh shoot, what is that band? Um, they might be giants since they are the ones who did the Malcolm in the Middle theme song, and it kind of has uh, that they might be giants feel to it. Yeah. Yeah, and the, like the lines are like really on the nose. You know, don't try to fight the chaos. Don't question what you've done. Yeah. You know, but if all, but if it's all illusion, just sit back and enjoy the show. Let's keep it going. Like, which is it's all like speaking directly. It's incredible because that could absolutely be like if you if you told me that that was the theme to like or the, that was the lyrics to some random early two thousands show, I'd be like, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so this is the uh, Halloween episode. And they give us a, which gives us a chance to see uh, the OG Vision and Wanda costumes. Love and, those. And a very good illustration of why we shouldn't do that most of the time. Well, I mean, these are intentionally designed to even look worse than <laughs> I think even the Roger Corman uh, Marvel movies were. Oh, slightly worse. <laughs> but they're designed to be cheap Halloween costumes bought at Walmart yeah. on the discount rack the, the which, year before. Which is great. Like it looks very, it looks like very recognizable as the comic image, but also something you could believe mm-hmm. that a family could make. It's just really good design in that regard. Yeah, I, I like, like. I love how all the characters are pretty much dressed as their comic book counterparts because it's not just Wanda and Vision. You got uh, Billy is dressed up as his uh, counterpart in the actual uh-huh. comics, which his name I can't remember right now. And then of course Pietro or fake Pietro is at least dressed like Quicksilver was in the comics. Minus the blood. At least Min- for now. Well, yes, we'll get to that, <laughs> but I did like that. And of course, Agatha Agnes later on, uh, actually dressed as a witch, even though that's not how the character dressed in the comics, but that's neither here nor there. They're not even Heidi at that, at that point. <laughs> oh, we all know she's evil at that point. <laughs> We yeah. we all suspected what happened to Sparky. Yeah, so you, you have a oh definitely like. I mean, we she, all knew we did. We did need the song to tell us. Yes, like, even though that's uh, my favorite line of the so song. So we have a, a Evan Peters kind of taking the role as the fun uncle slash man child, like lovable in the show, but would be just absolutely insufferable in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, and dude, he is so good. Just the line readings he has, it just like. So he talks so fast and it's just it's so funny um especially because like half of it is just like fun sitcom dialogue the other half is like intentionally poking at wanda and you know her grief this is the line where they're talking about you know that's worse than the costume mom made us the year we got typhus <laughs> we get the flashback where yes so is, that was that... mantis and nick fury they're supposed to be i didn't catch who they were supposed to be dressed as oh I thought it was just random uh, Halloween costumes for that. <laughs> the dead fish. Um, but the, the line after that, which says, you know, that's not exactly how I remembered it. Uh, you probably suppressed a lot of the trauma. <laughs> Again, you vision is still, he's, he's calmed down. He's now being a bit more subtle with his subterfuge, mm-hmm. but he's still poking at the reality. Like he's going off script. We want like, that's not what you're supposed to do. Like getting legitimately upset that, you know, her perfect reality is being violated by free will. 
and just in terms of like pure moment to moment enjoyment, this is up there mm-hmm. as like one of my favorites in the series. <laughs> I think part of it is even even retroactively with my issues with him, I feel like we were robbed. We didn't realize we were, but we were robbed of like an Evan Peters sitcom because he just yeah. <laughs> fits this role so perfectly. Just his interactions with them, like just the the fun, irresponsible uncle who you can like joke with and he'll joke with like the exact same maturity level with you right back. It's just, it's such a fun dynamic. And like, I, I really, we're also getting into the era. I, I spoke before, like I, I definitely watched a lot of the older sitcoms. So I was aware of everything going on. But that was more of like, it, it wasn't completely regular. And so we were kind of getting into the, oh, this is, this was like the shows that I was I was watching, you know, like mm-hmm. growing up. I remember mm-hmm. I remember all the tropes that they're spoofing whenever I was seeing them for the first time. Um, and so just seeing them mimic that style so perfectly down to the opening song, which could have come right yes. out of like 2003. It's just it was so much fun. And like the way they were. And the way they're weaving like all of this stuff that I love because I'm so familiar with it kind of in between the outside stuff and with with vision just kind of getting his own full-blown part of the plot now uh i don't know like i i, I didn't feel like i was being robbed of any one of the things that i like because at, at this point i really like i like the intrigue of them trying to figure things out on the outside i love watching vision try to wrestle with what wand is doing but i also like i just love the hey i recognize that thing um so just this this whole episode was such a like a, a treat, I felt like. Yeah, it's a couple of line readings that I really love from it. You know, it was Billy's idea. I'm Tommy, and don't you forget it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unleash hell, demon spawn. Um, well, technically. And- <laughs> Mephisto, man, believe. You gotta yeah. believe. Yeah, yes. And there's the, the, the kick-ass reference, um, which that Jack Shaver swears wasn't intentional. Um, I'm not sure I believe her. But you know, it's a reference to the well. At least people picked it up as as what seemed like a reference to the fact that both Aaron Taylor Johnson and uh, Evan Peters were in Kick Ass together. Um, and then outside the hex, just Hayward has gone fully evil megalomaniac. Um, yeah. And there's there's a there's an interesting scene, which is pretty much the only interesting scene Hayward has. Where he goes, you know, you people still have the you, know, you the people who left still have the luxury of optimism. You have no no idea what it was like, um, and then he kind of goes off on Monica, like you left, you had it easy, like we had to live through this, and like I think that's a really interesting concept, one that I think gets picked up even more in um, mm-hmm. Falcon and Winter Soldier, um, just like like what the, the the trauma suffered by the people who stay behind. And how they they would be like so much more desperate to protect their world than the ones who just disappeared and came back and like didn't even look, know about what happened as it was happening, um, but the, it doesn't go anywhere. Like after that, Hayward's just evil, and there's not even an attempt to humanize yeah, him. That's but I did like that moment. Well, I mean, there was no reason for him to even pretend to be good once that drone came back, because then he had his power source that he needs for uh, uh, the other vision. So. It was mm. at that point, it was just, okay, now we're just going to do all the stuff to enact the plan. And uh, we're going to get the, the looky loos who are obviously trying to be the, do this, the, the, the way that, you know, the, 
the world should be as far as we're concerned. Uh, we're just going to get them out of here and we're just going to get rid of them because now it's my, it's, we're going to go with plan B if it wasn't plan A to begin with. It, it was disappointing. It was disappointing to me whenever like it became clear that that's the role for him because at first I thought that they were going to be above it. I think, I mean, ab- above it sounds harsh, but like, I just, I remember whenever she first meets him and he's like, Hey, you're grounded. And she's like, you know, who enacted all of this and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, it, it was your mom. Like, and then we got this line where he's like, y'all are, you know, you're, you're trying to parade around like you're heroes, but you, you don't understand what it is. You don't understand how fragile what we have here is. And I, I was definitely hoping for that level of, of like, we're aware that this, everything about this character screams like, bad guy CIA agent movie or bad guy CIA agent from every movie you've ever seen. We, we get that that's what he looks like, but actually he's just a scared guy who really wants to, you know, fight for what they've had. They spent five years getting to, but then he's like, no, he actually is just bad guy CIA agent from every movie you've seen. Does make, yeah. does make me wonder if he is actually an internal mole for the flag smashers. Just uh, looking forward. Yeah, like it, it just uh, villains who uh, actually have like beliefs and humanity. Though they're always more interesting than just "Hey, I'm gonna shoot some kids" uh, type guys. <laughs> yeah, but I think at this point they decided to focus more on Agnes being the the primary villain than him, unfortunately. And that's debatable on who you're ter- who you're calling what you're calling a villain in this series. Mm-hmm. Honestly, Hayward's probably the hero. Wanda's crazy. She's dangerous. Just kill them. Kill them all. I think you do. Um, <laughs> yeah, because every good Twilight episode ended that way. Ha ha. Because that's what this show is. It's a classic Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, well, th- there is that episode where the, the, the kid is controlling his family. Or is that... I feel yeah. like another show, where he sends, like a horror show, where he we made it. Uh, Outer Limits may have done something similar. Yeah, I think the version I saw was a, a, a remake of the concept, but it was like the kids like forcing everyone to like eat ice cream and cookies and always playing and watching uh-huh. cartoons or something, or, something like that. Or um, he'll he'll send you out to the cornfield. And so you have uh, Billy and Tommy. I still don't know which is which. <laughs> they start manifesting powers. Uh, uh, Billy what? is the one in the, uh, well, Tommy's the one that's dressed like Quicksilver. I'll put it that way. Okay. Tommy's the fast one. Yes. Tommy's and, the fast uh, one. Billy's, Billy's, Billy's the magic one. Okay. Um, yeah, so they have their powers now and just wreaking havoc on, uh, on Westview with, with their, uh, very bad influence of an old, of a uncle. Um, then, then we get a scene where he's really pressing Wanda to figure out like what like, what did you do? And his tact is super disturbing. He's like, oh, you, you did a great job. Like, you, you handled the ethical concerns, you know, kept the kids in their rooms, you know, to, to minimize the trauma, bring them out for an occasional holiday cameo. It's like, it's like, like he totally knows exactly what's going on. And it's like freaking Wanda out. Um, and we get the, the another jump scare of where we see him dead with the bullet holes. Um, Second time they pulled it, and it works just as much here. Yeah, I, I think and that whole conversation. I love when every when he's whenever he's doing the double speak, but like when he lets it go, he's just fully 
open about the, the fact of her reality. Uh, it's just so good. I wonder if she, at what point she might've realized she didn't have control over Pietro either. Or if by this hmm. point she was like, well, I don't have control over the kids. Maybe you know the, the it's working on its own. I don't need to worry about it. Yeah. She, I, don't, I don't feel like she ever tries to control other, other than tossing him across the, you know, the street. Yeah. At the end. I don't think she ever try, even tries to. Maybe she's just kind of too flustered and confused. But while this is happening, uh, Vision is exploring the edges of town and it gets just more and more creepy as he yeah. goes. Uh, what I love the, the, the first the, he comes to the first roundabout and you have like most of them are active, but there's the one lady, you know, hanging up whatever, like the ghost or whatever. And she's just repeating the same lines over and over again or the same motion as the tear trickles down her face. And the truly creepy thing about it is that the, the, you know, the bouncy sitcom music is still playing. Yeah. Like the soundtrack hasn't caught up with the horror of what we're seeing. I, I love the fact that the farther away they're getting from where the, the focus of her, of what she's worked doing with there at, at a downtown, the harder, the more likely it is the people are, you know, just kind of acting on whatever the quote unquote last command was as if, there are still limits to her power. And since she's focused on so many people in this one area, everyone who's out past a certain point is just, you know, almost outside of her control, but not to the point where they can escape. And, and she's not worried about anyone finding him because there's a script like Wanda stays with her. I mean, vision stays with her or he goes to work or he goes to the, the neighborhood watch. Like there's a script. So she knows how to follow him. But now that he's going off script and doing his own thing, he's escaping that. He, he's starting to see the tear in the seams. Mm -hmm. and you, you, we get a bit of uh, uh, the Truman Show with uh, Agnes kind of with her car like fa facing the edge of the town. You just you can't leave. You can you can never get out of there. This was my first clue with her that she was. I mean, I'd kind of known who she they were who she was supposed to be at this point from just from connecting things with the comics. But this was the first point where I go, okay, she's, she's more in control of what she's doing than anyone else in this show is. Cause nobody else can talk at that range away from it. Only she is. She's even, even though she's kind of talking out of it, she's got more control over what she's saying and she's intentionally acting there. The character is. So it's like, okay, this is definitely probable. And of course, oh, she's dressed as a witch. I guess what everyone's saying about her being Agatha Harkness is going to be true. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll have to fess up. I think I was so caught up in the Reed Richards and the X-Men universe and the, the <laughs> Mephisto that I, I just, I never really saw. I, I, everybody that I was seeing was like, oh, Agatha is going to be Mephisto. Anybody who's convinced that she was a villain was saying that, but it, this scene, they because I wasn't privy to what they were actually doing, it it fooled me. I was like, oh, huh, I guess, I guess you know that she all of my theories that she was a villain were were off. Like they they got me. Completely coincidentally, I want to put this out there. Back in January, I read the Marvel comics of the Vision twenty fifteen run. That that's about fifteen issues, I think. And I actually was pretty much introduced to every character in the show 
first in that comic, like a month before the show came out. So I already knew there was an Agatha Harkness. I knew about all the stuff. I knew about Sparky because that's where they got the name Sparky for the dog from, was from that comic. Oh, really? He was the, the Visions family's dog. Does he die? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's like, oh, oh Sparky's dead. Well, it went faster this time. And the thing is, it's like most Marvel comics, it's not a, this, this show's not a direct uh adaptation of that it's mostly taking inspiration especially since that one was focusing on vision and this show is more focusing on a lot is well wanda's the main character in this show but i i i was introduced to the to agatha harkness and the the, i knew about white vision long before i saw white vision because that's from the comics too so yeah uh, and the Billy and Tommy thing, I found out who what happened to them. It's like, oh, man, this is I knew about them before they showed up. And then it's like, oh, yeah, we'll name one Billy and the other Tommy. It's like, you're going here. OK, <laughs> we'll see how far this goes. So, yeah, if, if you haven't read that, I actually suggest going and reading. It's an interesting read. Just bear in mind the Vision's backstory is really different in the in the comics than it is in the MCU. Yeah, then he goes and kind of breaks through the barrier and starts disintegrating, which is just a disturbing visual. But I, I love that, like, Wanda was so accurate in her recreation of this person that even though she doesn't want him to be, he's going to be a hero. He's going to do the right thing and try to save, like, because when as he's out there, he's dying. Like, what do you see? He's saying, like, like, the people, they need your help. You have to save us. Like, he's he's a hero going out to try and save other people, even though like his creator doesn't like she accidentally <laughs> turned him into who he was even more than she wanted, which is just a cool idea. That is a cool idea. Like the, the person that you need to cope is because of who they are and who you knew them to be is actively fighting against the way that you're coping. It's just a, a cool conflict. What's what, What's interesting, though, in that shot, just to look at the visual effects, they this they do it here and then they'll do it later in the last episode. But the effects of them kind of dis- disintegrating somewhat, uh, they that is actually a direct copy from uh, House of M, how those characters kind of separated and came back together in that that form. It kept that look on it. And that, oh. I loved that. It is cool. Because I read, I read House of M thinking, oh, yeah, that's what WandaVision is going to be based on. It's not at all. <laughs> and then uh, what's his, Bill, Tommy, Tommy hears his father uh, dying. Billy, actually. Um, wait, Billy? Wait, Tommy's the, Tommy's the fast one? Tommy's the fast one. Billy's the magic powers one. <laughs> one of the twins. <laughs> uh, hears his father dying and tells his mom. And, uh, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh Pietro's line, you know, what, what are you worried about? It's not like your dead husband can die twice. <laughs> she just chucks him across the yard. It's like, um, boy, you have no bedside manner, fake Pietro. Nope. Um, but she has to, like, she has to freeze everyone. Like, her you, again, speaking to the limits of her control, like, she can't expand the hex while controlling everyone around her and giving them personalities, which, again, speaks to how much, how aware she is. Like she knew she had to let them go and then do that. Like she's, she knows a lot more than she's mm-hmm. letting on, but she expands the hex and turns sword into a circus, which, which is perfect. Isn't much of a change. It's perfect. Actually. 
And uh, Dar- Darcy goes from being a fan, uh, a, a big fan of WandaVision to actually getting to star in the show. Uh, and I love that. Like, she goes, oh, fudge. Uh, yeah. yeah. Like it's censored as it comes, as she comes into the TV show. Only I didn't say fudge. Sorry. I, I <laughs> went straight to Christmas story. <laughs> oh, I was thinking, uh, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Welcome to freaking Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Only he didn't use freaking. <laughs> I want to mention the commercial in this one for Yo Magic. Uh, first off, the product is called Yo Magic. In other words, your magic, uh-huh. <laughs> which I thought, okay. So obviously this commercial is for Wanda herself. Uh, well, of course, they all are, uh, are referencing something. And this one I feel is actually referencing uh, her hesitation right before uh, Vision's death in Infinity War. It's like if she used the powers before Thanos got there, you know, she could have stopped everything from happening. And yet she waited just a little too long. And just like the boy in the commercial, things went south because of that. Just, just an interesting little perspective on that. So my read was that this was another one of Agnes's intrusions. I guess one, one tell for me was that it doesn't have the two actors. Like all the previous commercials have mm-hmm. had the same two actors, whereas this one's like a, a climation thing. But th- here's the dialogue. It's like, you know, I used to be hungry all the time. What did you do? I snacked on your magic, bro. As if like, I literally consumed your, as you said, your yeah. magic. Yeah. Like, so that's essentially what Agnes is doing. So like, maybe this is her. Cause like all the others, you can kind of tell like what you, you can Im- immediately tell. This is about that. This one is this one actually weird. had me thrown. <laughs> this one had me thrown for a long time. And the only reason I, I came to the conclusion I did about what this one was is based on the next commercial, which I'll get to in the next episode. All right. So next episode is breaking the fourth wall. This one's written by Cameron Squires. And now we've entered into the era of the 2010s mockumentary complete with like a lot of ironic cuts and handheld cameras with lots of zooms and all that stuff. Um, and that intro theme, that is just the office with a couple different notes. Like I, I expect better from you, Robert and Kristen Lopez. They, they Come usually, on. they usually do better, but it's like, Oh, we're just going to take the, uh, the notes we've been using so far for the, the, uh, the motif and we'll make, we'll do the office theme around that. It's, and, but they didn't even like, do like the clips, like the office, the, the office intro has like clips and all that. Like, uh, I think the visuals are based off a different show, but I didn't catch what show. Hey, it wasn't a show I watched. Something I but it doesn't I, count. I know at least one <laughs> of the at least one of those li- the license plate references uh, Stanley's birthday. So, oh really? Yeah. Oh, is that going to be the new A one one three year? I guess. Honestly, they ought to be just start posting the using the year for Fantastic Four because that's when Marvel started really. So, which is sixty six, I think. But anyway. Um, yeah, this, this one is, feel it's an interesting one because half of it is just Wanda sitting around, I guess, being depressed. Um, and and it's kind of like her unwilling, like she doesn't want to get out of bed. She doesn't want to deal with her kid. She doesn't want to deal with life. Like it's, I guess, you know, 
a pretty obvious metaphor for the fact that her she knows the hex is fake she knows it's not gonna it can't last but she like in the way that in the sitcom she is unwilling to get up and face her day she's unwilling to you know face reality essentially so essentially she just spends the day sitting around in her pajamas looking very flustered i love how when she got up and actually finally took the covers off she's still wearing the costume from the last (laughs) episode it was a rough night. It was a very rough night. Um, one effect I like a lot is the way the hex is constantly glitching through the eras. And so like all the props keep changing on her and she's just like, not even going to think about it. <laughs> the one that bugs me though, and this is just a weird one. When they're, when the, when the boys are there playing with the, uh, the Wii, yeah, they were playing with the Wii controllers and then the Wii controllers then turn into GameCube controllers and then they turn into Atari 2600 controllers. I'm thinking, why did you skip the NES controllers? Do that <laughs> before you go to Uno. I'm sorry, that was just a weird thing that, that I caught the first time. It's like, you went so far with the Nintendo references and you didn't keep going after GameCube or prior to GameCube? That's just weird. Could have got the 64. That's an iconic controller, the Super Nintendo. But now they just go straight to Atari. I'll take your word for it. Uh, then Ag- Agnes shows up and she has like some of my favorite lines from her. Like, I got there in a nick of time because she was one split away from one split end away from cutting her own bangs. Um, <laughs> but the the best line of the show is she's, she's like, I'll take the kids. OK, like, oh, don't worry. I promise I won't Bye. bite. I actually bit a kid once. <laughs> I actually did bite a kid once. <laughs> yeah, I did. I laughed so hard I had to pause it, like, rewound it, and watch it a couple more times. Her delivery. It, I actually did bite a kid once. It's mm-hmm. like it's that perfect kind of modern family. The off, like it, that joke would have worked in any of those shows. Yeah, like you give that lie to Creed from The Office, and mm-hmm. it totally yeah, it's so good. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and the other half, the, the other side of the episode, you have Vision and um, Darcy just on an interminable truck ride <laughs> trying to get back home. Uh, and I love the gag of our, oh, it's a red light. Oh, no, it's a construction zone. zone. Oh, oh look, every, all the kids from the last episode are now going across <laughs> the road. It's like. But I, I, I then love amused. how all uh, uh, Vision's interviews, of course, they're outside the truck. And then at the very his last one, he realizes, what am I doing still sitting here? <laughs> Takes the lavalier mic off. And then the camera, the, the scene shifts back to him in the truck after he walks off on the on the interview and he's flying out of the truck. It's like <laughs> that is a weird re- way to reference. There's no reason these are happening at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I, I love when he finally just breaks out like the whole mockumentary setup. Like I can fly. Why am I waiting on a truck? And that like that's the stuff where it's. It, I I love how it's working on so many different levels where they are these things that he's having to fight, and it's it works as an obstacle and a barrier within the conflict, and it's it's also just clever and funny. It's it's cool. And uh, I love that Darcy is now part of it. And like, there are so many double acts I really love, like just whether it's uh, Darcy and Wu or Darcy and uh, Vision, like when they're just in the truck kind of recounting the very traumatic history of Wanda and Vision. Yeah. (laughs) So she killed me twice and now we're stuck in this town. 
Pretty much. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So yeah, going out outside the hex, um, Hayward has gone just full on evil. He kicked. He's kicked everyone out. And then we go to meet uh, not Reed Richards and uh, some weirdo named Major Goodner. And <laughs> I feel like so many people just kind of wilted when that happened. But yeah, we get a, a rover and she wants to go back into the hex. It doesn't work. And so she walks in. Um, and the, the effects of her trying to break through as like it's splitting her into different like you're splitting off to where like she's in different times and different costumes. And it's just really cool looking. Reminds me of something we see in Ant-Man or Dr. Strange. Well, I mean, it's a nice, uh, it's a nice forward to, to the superhero. She, her, her powers in the comics. Uh, although I think in this version, they're saying she's supposed to be spectrum and she can't really take the captain Marvel or photon name because that's, uh, those aliases are grabbed by other people. So she, it kind of, I like how it kind of turned in. She kind of was a spectrum of all those characters she was playing in when she was in WandaVision and then came back to form her. Do you know what her powers are? Uh, Jello. I would have to double check because I have not actually read the character in the comics. I, I know it's similar. It, I know it's not anything like Captain Marvel's actual power set. Because mm. it feels like something like, Tra- the transfer of energy, like the way she does her landing and like the energy goes into the ground after Wanda throws her down or when she stops the bullets, like she doesn't actually stop them. They kind of like travel through her and slow down and fall to the ground. The other I, side. Mean, it's- I mean, it is like that because I mean, she is supposed to be one of the many quote unquote Mar- uh, Captain Marvels from the comics. But I mean, she's always she's a separate character. It's like uh, so many other characters who took on monikers. They have similar power sets to the person they're based off of, but they're still not those characters. There's the same mm-hmm. powers. So I don't know. I don't know her exact one other than it does seem like she has power over like a bunch of different types of energy. And she seems to be able to shift between those. I did like when she finally came when she got through the barrier and she's still her vision is still kind of affected by it. How is that vision? You know what I mean? <laughs> her eyesight. How's that? Um, but her eyesight is, a, is still affected by it. And it kind of looks like a CRT monitor. That's been, that's kind of the registration's kind of out of sync, S- similar to all the others, the way the, the, the hex has had so many other classic television, old television style kind of effects with it. That makes any sense uh, where it's obvious. She's, she got her powers from the hex. So it still has sign of the, that kind of weird coloration to it. Um, then she goes and confronts Wanda and we get a, a really decent scene. Um, uh, where she, where Wanda's trying to just like get out of my life. One of uh, one of my favorite lines from the show. Another one is you know, all you do is lie. She says, you know, the only lies I've told are the ones you put in my mouth, uh, which is just, uh, just the lie, the writing and her delivery of it is really good. And like, she, it looks like she's actually reaching Wanda kind of empathizing with her grief and, and telling her, you know, my own, I, I came back, my mother was dead and like really kind of speaking to her, to her grief. And it looks like she's getting to her. And then Agnes the shows up. neighbor comes over, comes over. Um, and it, it kind of closes it down. But like, even now you, you still see that, Wanda isn't trying to hurt anyone. Mm-hmm. Like she's choosing to be incredibly selfish, 
But when the conflict arises, like, even when she goes, like, she had every right to attack Hayward. He just shot a missile at her kids. But even then, she 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 uh, you know was satisfied at a threat. And here, you know, she's kind of tossing Monica around, but she's not going for the kill. It was just kind of interesting, again, speaking to who she actually is. Then we go to the basement, and we get the, the reveal that everyone, like, was there anyone watching the show that didn't, didn't hadn't heard of Agatha, Hark Agatha Harkness by these by this time, like I feel like by the time the commercials were coming out, people were speculating <laughs> that Agnes was Agatha Harkness. Um, so I I don't think anyone was surprised when this reveal happened. No, in the creepy but, evil basement. No, but the the scene immediately following the creepy evil basement is one of my favorites in the show. The whole Agatha Harkness theme song. I yes. love that song <laughs> and how it shows every, how she affected every single little thing throughout the show. Yeah. That, that song is, it, it's a great song. And uh, apparently Catherine Hahn sung it, but as you said, just the way we see the behind the scenes and it's a lie because it wasn't actually Agatha. It was still Wanda all along, but I'll forgive it because the song is so good. <laughs> yeah. It took over the world too. And I love how, I, I love how, you know, her being a witch and all it's her that all the text and everything is rough in the song itself is referencing the monsters. That's ex and I, oh. I just loved that they pulled from that because that's like, well, that fits everything pretty much pretty well. And as usual, I didn't watch the monsters. So I, so I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's cool. Catch up on your mid-century TV. You were an Adams so family much. family, weren't you? We were not really watching much TV at all, family. <laughs> fair uh, enough, fair enough. So there's there's a whole section of time where it's like any pop culture references. Like, yeah, I definitely know what you're talking about. Totally. Um, <laughs> so uh, I understood that reference. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's an MCU quote for every uh, every situation in life. Pretty much, pretty much. Although I will say I do wish this theme came at the beginning of the next episode, just from a personal mm. preference, but that's just yeah, me. They broke. I was really sad when the show broke away from the sitcom format. Like I realized it had to happen, but I wish they could have find a, mm -hmm. could have found a way to keep it going. Yeah. So the commercial uh, is Nexus uh, and yes. an antidepressant that anchors you back to reality or the reality of your choice. I have okay, so I have a bit of a speculative theory on this. It kind of informed like what they've been doing with the commercials up to this point. Up to this point, the commercials have all been about, for at least from my under my read, have been everything that has built towards Wanda's current state of grief. This one, on the other hand, is what she needs to do by the end of the show, which is except that she, uh you know except the identity she's going to have to take on of as the scarlet witch and the reason i say it's that is because the fact that they call it nexus and that's an interesting term in marvel comics to use for for this because in the comics wanda is what's is known as a nexus being meaning that th or throughout the multiverse, it is the same. Her character always exists. She's one of the few characters that's in every multiverse. So 
she is essentially an anchor point for not just the MCU, but pretty much every Marvel Comics universe. And I, and this is her. This is I think is a reference to her needing to accept that role per, uh, in actuality in the MCU. Interesting. I don't know if that's where they're going to go. That is my speculation. If that's not, I will accept what they show me. But this is kind of how I've looked at this episode. I looked at this commercial. I just took it as it's a word that sounds like every medication ever. Like I could swear I've seen a commercial for Nexus somewhere. So say, man, of all yeah. the commercials, like I, this, this is the one I, I, we're still seeing this one. It's so perfect. I, I love that the woman mm-hmm. stays depressed throughout the entire, it's all gray and sad. Even as it's time to go, it's yeah. happy. You retake your life. Or don't. <laughs> yeah. S- side effects may include facing your feelings. More depression. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. So this is this is the one um, with the first fi- uh, post-credit scene. It's kind of pointless. Not a lot happens in it. But uh, this is where we see Monica snooping around and uh, Ralph slash Fietro catches her. Um, like, this is where they should have revealed his identity, I feel like. Just get get it out of the way. Yeah. Stop teasing us. I I get the feeling that this was shot for the next episode or the one after it. And the reason they did it here is because of how much of the rearranging they had to do. I mean, much of the rewrites they had to do well, for that last episode. It definitely episode. was shot after COVID uh, because all the interiors were shot in Atlanta um, pre-COVID. Then they had to go on break for half a year. And then they went to L.A. and shot all the exteriors after COVID. So I don't know if y'all, as a weird little thing, you do know that Agnes's house in this is the same house that was used as the exterior in Bewitched. I, I didn't know. I didn't that know show. that, but I did know they shot it on like a sitcom lot that has a lot yeah. of different sitcom houses. And um, then like the Partridge family house is like right down the block from that. That is cool. All right. Um, so moving on to the next episode, we have previously on this one's written by Laura Donnie. Good name, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fun that, fact, this is actually my favorite episode. I think it might be mine, too. Um, it's you know, we've, we've left the um, the sitcom format and we've moved on to a different uh, television trope, which is the episode that we enter into a person's mind to understand their pain. Um, like any series that runs long enough has one of these episodes mm-hmm. inside a character's mind. And I love them all. Uh, so this one was really, uh, really worked for me. Um, I'm fairly talking? certain I've seen most of this episode in a Star Trek The Next Generation episode somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, any show that has even the tiniest sci-fi bend and a lot that don't <laughs> yeah, do this and they go in, oh, we're seeing memories and... Uh, they get you know it's, it, it, it can get so creative and surreal it's it's just there's so much possibilities for creativity in this kind of story um james have, where have you been you've been hiding this whole time i haven't heard you talk in like 20 minutes um what do you think about this one so i i really like this episode uh maybe not quite as much as most people all right so true uh, what did you think <laughs> i'll be quiet for 20 more minutes it's okay no go ahead no, no. Well, okay. So there, there are moments that I really love. And I'm, I, I know we're going to talk about them. The only, the, the thing, 
I, I kind of just have one real criticism. It's just by the nature of this episode and its structure, it was a repeating criticism, which was we have these moments which I really enjoyed being in, but then it felt like after every time, like kind of before the moment and then after the moment, it was just like weirdly done exposition to me where like I watch the scene and I feel like I get everything I need from it. And Agatha feels like she's doing this so she can learn, but it feels like she's speaking about it like she's already privy to a lot of it. And then a lot of the time it's it's her explaining what we saw. Like we'll, we'll see a scene and then Agatha's like, oh, so you were so-and-so and then this happened and now you were so-and-so. Blah, blah, blah. I, I don't know. It felt like the commentary felt unnecessary. Like, obviously, she's a character and she's there in the location with them and she's going to be voicing things. Like, we need her involved in the scene. It's just, it felt kind of like, here's what we just saw. It's like, well, yeah, I know. I just saw it. You just saw it. We all just saw it. But, James, what about the idiots in the audience? Who's well, going to think of them? We don't yes. care about them. Yeah. I, 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 I get what you're saying, but that's like half a dozen lines in the entire episode. Um, like she gets, you know, she gets her one explanation line at the end of each one, but I, I just love it just cause it's more of a summary line than anything else. Yeah. Well, and, that, and, it, and it very much felt like a, a summary. I was like, what, so talking Gabe uh, about like the, the artistic freedom that this brings, I was almost hoping that like, because it is just traveling through these kind of linked memories that they'd go trippier than they did. Like I, I wanted a little bit more crazy. I don't. I go back to it, and it's it's unfair because, I mean, I just I like the show, and it's I shouldn't just oh do it like that other thing. But like I I really love the way Legion goes super trippy, and I was hoping that they maybe they don't have to go like the same style, but that they'd really lean into just the when you when you have a like two witches exploring someone's conscious and memory. I was, I was hoping there'd be a little bit more, you know, wild transitions and visuals and, and less just, and here, here's a scene that's just going to play out as was like, as it happened. And then we're going to kind of walk onto it like a set and talk about what we saw. See, but the set actually makes sense in this case, because I mean, we are still in that TV show motif I mean, this whole sequence ends I, with them standing like, like on a stage in front of a audience, I'm, which I'm assuming is the stage they filmed on in uh, for the first episode. And I did like that. Like, I like, but see, that's part of the trippiness that I did like, where it's like, it's kind of breaking down the illusion by being, I don't know, like that moment was cool. It's just because the entire episode was this and, and that was that one moment, it it felt like we we the the situation is two witches exploring memories and consciousness and trauma and for part of it it, it did just feel like we we've got this set where this thing happened and we're going to we're going to walk onto it see a scene and then describe the scene just it it felt a little i don't know i'm coming off too probably harsher than i even mean i mean uh, I, if i can just throw this little wrench in there. I think those summary lines are more for Wanda's benefit than ours, because every time she is living through one of these traumatic events, 
you know, coming right out of it, she's going to take need him. It's she's going to be, you know, hurting pretty bad as, especially with these memories. And I think that's Agatha saying, okay, we need to, I understand you're going through some bad stuff, but we need to focus on what we're actually looking at here. And that's why she's summarizing lines is to bring Wanda back out of that memory and back into what are we looking at here? And the, the whole thing, the whole reason Agatha is doing this is because she wants to know like, why, how did this happen? How, how are you doing this? You, this untrained amateur. Um, but, but actually, but before we get to that, this scene opens with an, a Salem witch trial, like an actual <laughs> witch's trial, um, where her coven is, uh, executing her for, you know, whatever terrible black magic things she does. And it doesn't go well for them. I'm, and this is going to get into a complaint. I'm not really a big fan of how Shackman and the team visualize magic. It's just kind of, oh, bright, colorful CGI wiggly woos. Just throwing the only energy. thing I've ever seen get that right is Harry Potter. Like the big globular yeah. molten lava dripping off the mm. beams. All, out of nowhere, all of a sudden, my complaints about magic beams and like colorful lights as a way of portraying magic, like it goes away in that series because it just looks amazing. Yeah. But, but here it is just kind of like, here's some purple mist and duple, duple is just kind of whatever. It's, the yeah. energy beams don't mess with me that much because I mean, that's what her, how they've shown her magic from Ultron going forward. So, I mean, it's not like they can't, uh, I guess it's just, maybe it's just, I'm used to it, but they can't change the motif of the effect at yeah, this point. But I think they did it a little more creatively where that was like these almost like grasping hands, like getting into the mechanics and tearing robots apart. Like here it's just like, oh, blast of energy beams. And like, just, I feel like it, it can be, it can be done really creatively. I think it's been done like that in Age of Ultron Civil War, or it can mm -hmm. be done just like, oh, red light and purple light. And they'll do stuff to each other. Like it can be done well, and sometimes it's just boring. <laughs> this I found to be kind of boring. Well, I'll I'll understand that more in the next episode. But yeah, uh, yeah in this but one, it's just it, the it, first time we it, saw it. Yeah, and this one it didn't affect me too terribly much. Yeah. So, so Agatha, like I guess she's just kind of a power hungry sociopath. Like, like she doesn't seem to be overly like she's not just oh i want to destroy the world but it just seems she wants power i guess that's what she's after so and that's the thing i'm i'm not sure what her goal here is other than getting wanda's power my question is why is she wanting wanda's power and i'm wondering if we'll find out what what that her motivation here is when we get to uh dr strange in the multiverse of madness I think isn't she supposed to be in that movie? I don't. I don't think they've announced it. Um, she's in. Uh, she's in Knives Out too. I know that. <laughs> I uh, yes. Don't know if she's in this. So yeah, and I've had nothing but praise for Catherine Hahn's performance in every appearance so far. She's like been one of the highlights of the show. But the moment she's revealed as Agatha Harkness to the end, I just stop caring about her. I don't. Like, she's obviously a great actress and she's obviously very charismatic and capable of playing very colorful, loud, quirky characters. But the villain, it's partially, I think her performance is, it just doesn't have the presence and scary factor. Um, yeah. And then the writing just doesn't have anything dramatic or clever. I, I just find her like, 
incredible to season up to season eight, and then you know, season eight and nine just almost a non-entity. Just she just she says the line, she does the things, she's there to be punched. But I just as as a villainous force, she's very forgettable for me. I mean, yeah, I see her as a character that's as a villain that's got still got potential because I can't see them being done with her after this. I feel like they've got to bring her back at some point, which is why I guess I'm thinking she was going to show up in Multiverse of Madness, especially since the character in the comics is plays a more mentor role towards Wanda. It could, it could be a fun reoccurring thing where like every now and then Wanda will go back and find her. Hey, okie dokie neighbor like that. And yeah. let, let her go and get some information. Then turn well, it back on. I also suspect that she might be work her way into fantastic four. Also considering the way that character was originally introduced was as Reed and Sue's child's nanny. Oh, just a weird, weird little thing. They could okay. bring her back for that. I don't know. I, I, I do kind of wonder if perhaps her character was kind of caught up in that rights debacle, but I don't, I don't huh. think it matters. Well, it doesn't matter now, but that, that is interesting. Um, cause, uh, cause especially considering that Wanda herself was one of the few characters that wasn't caught up in that, her and her Quicksilver. Right. They could, go around however they pleased. Well, I mean, there was a, de- there was a weird deal that, uh, that they made so that, you know, both Fox and Disney and, and Marvel could use the characters. That's why yeah. that's that side kept Quicksilver and we kept and Marvel kept Wanda. Oh, okay. That's how just- that, that's how, and, and that's also why in the comics, uh, they also made that Wanda and Pietro were not Magneto's kids. And weren't even mutants. They retconned that in the comics. Oh, that happened in the comics as well. Okay. Yeah. No, they retconned it because of this. Because Ah. they they wanted to support the characters, but they didn't... They were... uh, I think Disney was still trying to force Fox to give it back, uh, get the properties back before the buyout happened. So they weren't really supporting in the comics much of the movies that were not MCU. Okay. So now going over to the side where we're in Wanda's mind, um, there's a couple of different like various episodes we go through. First is uh, Wanda's childhood in Sokovia. Her father sells, uh, I guess, American television DVDs. Um, another little th- weird thing that bothered me, should they be VHSs? Like this is, what, like 2000 around-ish? My understanding is this is like late 90s, which the DVD market was around, but it was not big over here yet. I don't know how it would have been in a third world country that Sokovia <laughs> is supposed and, to be. And, and, early, and just early to point DVDs, this out. Were they collecting like TV shows, doing full uh, collections of TV that, shows on DVDs? Do not, do not quote me. I don't think at that time they were. And the other interesting little thing is in that box, you see a box set of Malcolm in the middle, which did not air until 2000. So there can't be a box set in there. If it's from the late nineties. Uh huh. Um, just a weird thing. I noticed. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's strange. Um, but the scene is really sweet. Like we get to, we see them together. They're a happy family, like watching sitcoms together 
it's all you know it feels safe and nice and a missile comes in uh kind of disturbing uh, and we see the blinking red lo- red light from the toaster and i think mm-hmm. it's episode one or two it's episode um, one on the bomb and i guess we're supposed to understand that wanda deactivated the bomb unknowingly and that her power on un- unbeknownst to her her powers didn't originate from the mind stone like they were actually a part of her all along and they were just accentuated mm-hmm. by the mind stone i don't um, think she deactivated i think one of the one of the powers because I, I think that this is going to be this power is going to be explained going on but it was or like moving forward she called it like a probability hex which is like yeah. mm-hmm. The, it was, there's a very low probability that this bomb will be defective or that or that yeah, it will explode there's something off on it that you're just not going to be able to set it off like it's minuscule probability but like part of that spell is that you maximize the mm-hmm. that probability that protects you so it's technically an active bomb it's just the odds of it not going off were raised yeah well, the fact that it didn't go off when it crashed into there at the beginning is still interesting, but. And then the, then we uh, flash forward to the next one, which is the Hydra testing. And I kind of wish they could have gotten uh, Thomas Kretschmann back um, just for this scene. Mm-hmm. He was a uh, Strucker in Ultron, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. That's what, okay, I just yeah, want to make sure I was thinking of the right guy. Mm-hmm. That guy. Like, you, you've, you've seen him in a hundred films. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so apparently they're having... Uh, the subjects touch the Mind Stone and it's killing everybody. But at least the way she sees it, the Mind Stone opens and comes to her in the form of the Scarlet Witch. And it's interesting how it's not her in that silhouette, if that makes sense. It's more like it's the idea of the Scarlet Witch, not her as the Scarlet Witch. Uh huh. Okay, but going back to the opening, the Witch's Trial... When her, when the uh, Agnes, Ag- Agatha, and her mother are shooting back their wiggly woos, we see a, t- and, and a the tiara. Crown. Yeah, yeah. But that's form. not, but that's not the same t- uh, crown that forms over Wanda later on. It's okay. a different. It's a different crown. Yeah. So, like, I guess it, so. Is is the Scarlet Witch an entity like the Phoenix Force? Like, kind of. I mean, this is one of those weird things that. I mean, technically all this lore was handled by X-Men, which is in the comics, which is completely off the wall. I mean, they were focusing more on Phoenix than they were Wanda at, uh, for a, long, a lot of that. And I don't know. Ex- the, the only real thing is that it's an is that that I remember. And admittedly, it's very little is that idea that she's a nexus being. So that clears everything up. <laughs> I don't know if it's like and it really doesn't. <laughs> it's just that there's versions of her in every universe. So mm. like I said, it's the idea of her being the Scarlet witch more than anything else. Cause it, she's already she, technically, she, technically she already is the Scarlet witch. She just hasn't awakened all her power. Is she always Wanda or is she, or is, or is a Scarlet witch showing up as different characters? Same character. Okay. Wanda is the Scarlet witch. Now, there's been a couple times where her mental health has gone a bit cuckoo, but... <laughs> yeah, well, long story short, she gets her powers. Um, and then we go to uh, a scene in Wanda's room at Avengers headquarters. 
and we see real vision again and i didn't realize how much i miss this character like we've been watching a show called wandavision and vision's there but he's it's not, not the, the same character, character yeah which he's... is which i which surprised me when i was watching this originally it's like i know it's vision but then i realized wait a minute this vision is a different vision than the vision from that we've seen prior to this show because the vision prior to the show only vaguely understood emotions while the wand of the vision in WandaVision is more emotional in his, how he acts. He's a sitcom dad. Exactly. <laughs> like, like when he's not pressing against the reality, he's a perfectly normal person. And so we get to just see them together. And I, which love... is more reason that Paul Bettany deserves an Emmy for this. Yeah. And I love just how they're, they have real chemistry together, but the chemistry is almost through how awkward they are together. It's mm-hmm. just kind of adorable. Like, like she's still like deep in grief over losing Pietro and he wants to help, but he doesn't entirely even understand what she's going through. So he's just, just kind of sitting there trying, like trying to understand and it's kind of adorable. But I like, I just like how quiet the scene is. This scene, that this scene broke my heart when I was watching it originally. It's like, I know what she's going through and it's not just seeing the Wanda on screen going through it. It's thinking, what is the Wanda that's playing this Wanda feeling going through this moment? And this is where we get that line, you know, from Vision, you know, what is grief if not, if not love persevering, which kind of took the world by storm. Um, yeah. Really powerful almost, line. It, it's almost the thesis statement for this show. It is one of those moments where you're like, that is, what a, like, what a surprisingly profound thing to just, to hear at this point. I mean, I guess not surprising, just because the show is been all about grief, but it was I like I heard I was like oh wow that's like, I just kind of thought about it for a little bit I'm like yeah that, that that's a cool especially idea. since it's coming out of the mouth of somebody who's less than a week old uh huh and I feel like it's a line that counselors are going to be using you know ten years yeah. from now <laughs> yeah um pretty much and then uh, <laughs> it's a line from Fish, you know it is funny because of the grievous injury the man just suffered. <laughs> try to understand human humor yes uh, yeah pretty much no, he's he's not injured it's not that sh- kind of show here's the thing i watched that episode he's injured trust me he's injured <laughs> that's um, the whole point of that scene is he got injured in that shot now next week he'll be fine but that's because the weird doctor prodigy kid that the boys use sets his leg for him but anyway <laughs> yeah when is brian cranston coming to the mcu that's gotta happen that, that's a good question i would like him in the mcu i like him in everything mm. uh, and uh so next memory is we go to the sword headquarters and um wanda we finally see what actually happened <laughs> yeah yeah um and i like that they don't call it out in the moment like wait that that's not what 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 uh, Hayward showed us. Like you kind of, they let us piece that together. Well, and I love how when you go back to episode four after you've seen this, you can see, tell the exact moments where the footage mysteriously gets cut for what he's showing. Yeah, that, that never happens in the real world. Yes. Um. Yeah. So he kind of goes in, and she goes in, and Hayward. I, I think like, this is probably Hayward's best scene where like he's saying all the right things 
to where like mm. if she called him on, he's like, like I, I, I didn't mean. Sorry, I didn't mean that. But yeah. there's always this really cruel edge to it. Um, and and I didn't pick this up at first. Other, I, I heard other people saying it, but the notion that this entire the whole thing that happens is orchestrated by him to try and get her to resurrect Vision because he like he brings that up. Like I didn't let you see him because not everyone has the power to bring their soulmate back to life. Like, wink, like he, wink. Yeah. No, he says to bring their soulmate online. Yeah. I mean, sorry, to, to life. It's like, uh, I hate you, Hayward. <laughs> yeah, like, like you're just casually opening the curtains. And, oh, there's your dead lover to, torn in pieces being tested by scientists. This shouldn't be traumatic mm-hmm. at all. I got a lot of uh, Palpatine and Anakin vibes from like, you know, it's ironic. He could he could keep his, <laughs> you know, his the ones he loved from death. Uh, you could learn it for that. Don't uh, don't worry about it. It's yeah, like it's you you're kind of above reproach. You're just talking, but mm-hmm. all the ideas are there. Yeah, and like his 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 stated reasoning is sound. Like I can't let you put three billion dollars of vibranium in a hole in the ground like it's it would be irresponsible of me um but yeah it's just so casually cruel um speaking of casual cruelty making us live through you know i can't feel you uh Mm -hmm. calling back Mm -hmm. to the line from infinity war it's just this is mean marvel why you do this to us to fully drive home why wanda does that does what she does in this show that's the reason why, because it's it's right after this that they that she drives to Westview to what is obviously the home that Vision had bought that oh, obviously construction stopped five years ago. And she's sit, standing there in essentially. Oh, in th- I didn't even think of that as construction starting. I thought, oh, he just, he just bought an empty lot. But no, because yeah. because because the pier and beams are laid. But the construction uh, never got past that point because of the blip or the snap, whatever you want to call it. So cool. I, I and was, that's yeah. and that's why the grass has grown up amongst the, the those footings. And she gets there and that's when she has her full break and causes and creates the hex and causes uh, creates vision out of thin air and does all, and starts essentially the premise of the show. Yeah, and I, I love just, like, the way it just builds in the grief. And it explodes, like, out of her heart. Like, all the pain she's felt is is now now creates the world that she had wanted, that she had thought she was going to have. Um, you know, the just the note on the on the uh, pamphlet, to grow old in, in a heart. Yeah. It's like, uh, which how much can you is, hurt us? Which is, which is drawn almost the exact same way the heart is drawn, of or in on the calendar in the first episode. Eh. Just a weird little thing. <laughs> I mean, obviously it's black and white in the first episode, not in color, but still. Yeah, I, I love the way it's visualized, like just a, an explosion coming out of inside of her. Mm-hmm. And and when she's creating vision, it's the yellow of the Mind Stone. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah, Mind Stone. I keep thinking it's Soul Stone, but it's Mind Stone. Yeah, because that's also part of her power. Um, mm-hmm. But his part is almost comes exclusively from the part of the Mind Stone that's in her. 
but I, it's interesting that when she goes through, it's like this dying, miserable town. Um, like everyone's sad and gray. Um, it's a small town that the main industry that was keeping the town alive is left left long ago, and it's just barely still going. I kind of almost like getting into Wanda's argument, like you know, I made this better than it was. Like I helped you guys. Um, but yeah, it's like just everywhere you look, it's just the pain and misery building after that explosion. Um, and then we kind of, after that happens, she like sees the edges and we realize that we're on a stage um, in the studio. We see the cameras and the audience, you know, the audience, uh, the chairs and all that. Um, I love just the way that was revealed. All right. Then uh, after this, we go outside and uh, Agatha is just casually strangling her children. Uh, as you do. Yeah, as you mm-hmm. do. <laughs> she bit a kid, so why, why not strangle one? It's all the same. <laughs> uh, so it, I didn't think of this much the first time, but it really feels like they are setting something up where she has, you know, you, you have no idea how dangerous you are. You're supposed to be a myth of being uh, capable of, uh, spont- of spontaneous creation <laughs> and using it to make breakfast for dinner. This is chaos magic, which makes you the Scarlet Witch. And going to the next episode, like she, it feels like she keeps warning, like, you are you are going to be the destroyer of worlds and all of that. So it feels like they're setting something up that the, the, there's this creature of prophecy, the Scarlet Witch, who had chaos magic, who something's going to happen. Um like it's not paid off here, but it def- I don't know if this is going to be the plot of Doctor Strange 2, but it feels like they're trying to go somewhere. You know, something else that could have set it up would be, you know, her pulling a guy from another dimension that she's trying to make her brother, but it's just from the X-Men universe. And <laughs> Once again, that's just a red herring. Oh, I don't want to know it. I'm still not over that far from home stuff. Uh, I want to bring up the interesting choices they use for the three episodes of uh, of the classic sitcoms they showed, because I thought the, their choices were very interesting. The one from Dick Van Dyke show is uh, I always called it the Walnut episode, but it's in uh, that one. Uh, it's a, Rob is watching a sci fi movie in bed and Laura hides under the covers. Rob starts teasing her about it, but then the rest of the episode is it that this be, appearing to become true, but it's all a nightmare that he's having. Going forward, the the Brady Bunch episode, which is a uh, Kitty Carry All is missing. Cindy's got a doll that goes missing, and she thinks Bobby stole it. But it, spoiler alert: the dog's the one who stole it. It was a. Uh, so uh, and then the Malcolm in the middle episode, like I mentioned earlier, he's actually trying to stop. Uh, he, he forgot to send in the uh, health insurance form. So there. So, you know, since if I don't know if, how much you know of Malcolm in the middle, but pretty much they're all walking time bombs on how when they're going to get hurt, because that's just how they are, because <laughs> they're a dysfunctional family. So someone's going to get hurt eventually. But uh, they're not. He's he is. He boards up the entire house to keep everybody safe for the weekend until the insurance was going to to reinstate it in Monday. But of course him not tapping that last nail in on the, uh, on the hammer on, on the, the awning porch thing causes him to actually be the one that gets injured. The reason I bring mention all that is it's interesting how, if you put all three of these together, how 
what, 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 how it looks like they pulled the, pulled the specific moments for WandaVision. Uh, like I said, the whole thing, uh, the whole episode is essentially one person's, uh, dream when you get right down to it. Uh, and the far longer and longer the dream goes, the crazier and crazier the events are that are happening, which when, as Wanda's trying to, you know, keep all these plates going when uh she, the lat when as things just start breaking around her it's that last thing that she's the one who ends up really being the one getting hurt because she's the one who's going to lose you know pretty much this family she's created and who is the person who uh is making this stuff go worse and worse it's the person that is uh she trusts for most of the most of the show which is agnes which i still don't know why she trusts agnes because if she's someone she doesn't know. But anyway, I, I just find it interesting how all three of these shows, these episodes from the classic TV, they, they used how it kind of is like, this is like they're, they're citing their sources for the show. I, I may be reading too much into it. I don't know, but I just thought that was very interesting how they pulled those in. And I will say of these three episodes, the only one I'd seen before this was the, the Dick Van Dyke show episode. And so when, and that scene where she's saying, oh, I want to see, uh, I, w I want the special one. And they go and get the Dick Van Dyke D box out of the, the hole. And she says, season two, episode 20. Uh, and they bring it up and says, oh, yes, the walnut episode. I'm going, yes, the walnut <laughs> episode. This is the best one. Yes, this is the one y'all need to watch. Oh, oh, wow. This is perfect choices. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of people talking about it. I, I need to go watch it. It is a, it's a good episode. I, Really, you should go check out all three, even though I hate the Brady Bunch. <laughs> and that, that episode is not it might be their best one, but it's it's still a Brady Bunch episode. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I just don't like this. Show. I, I, I don't know. I haven't seen it. Um, all right. So moving into the finale. Actually, no, there's a there's a post credit scene of this episode where we have uh, we it's revealed that uh, Hayward lied about Wanda stealing vision and. We, he has them in a tent and he's white and he powers them up using the the drone that for some reason has power flickering around it. We never explained why that happens, but, uh, uh, it well, absorbs same, some of the like energy the, the thing. Yeah. It absorbs it some is, of the energy when uh, it came out of it and when it would have gone into it and uh, it carried that energy back out. And somehow, somehow they were able to pull that energy off and power vision with it. So they could have plugged Monica into the machine. Too. I think if, they probably they <laughs> should have probably from his point of view. The science is sound. <laughs> right. And uh, how hard would it have been to knock her out and then just suck the energy off of her and put it into suck vision? The soul out of you. I mean, it's not like they knew that's what was going on until after that, after they kicked her out, but still. And Hayward is just evil. Like he lied about Wanda stealing vision so that he could justify killing her, when in reality he was just trying to cover his own ass because he was conducting illegal experiments with an AI. Like, I don't like that guy. He's, he's very mean. So he's a secret government agent who thinks he knows more than the rest of us. Like so many others. Like all of them. <laughs> he's a bureaucrat. The worst kind. I, I can just see them having him go and says, it says, you want the truth? You can't handle the truth. You want me out there killing uh, the Scarlet Witch and and stealing her powers to power the super mega robots that is based off a dead corpse. <laughs> you want me on that hex. You need me on that hex. <laughs> you need hex. me on that hex. 
Uh, uh, anyway. So moving into the finale, this one is written by Jack Schaefer, and uh, it's the finale. Everything goes down. There's lots of explosions and flying. Um, I, I think Matt Shackman's direction had been has been really good. Like I think he's done such a good job of emulating the various sitcom styles, the visuals, but not just the visuals, just like the acting. Cause like you have to coach all the actors, you know, to fit in, to change their entire approach to every episode. Like he does, so, I think really incredible work at maintaining consistency for each, each episode, you know, as it goes through its era. But I feel like when we get out into the real world and it's just turns into a superhero movie, I think he's kind of bland mm-hmm. and doesn't, he doesn't really bring a lot. Like he, he does what he needs to do. It's never like bad. Like it's visual, it's visually clean. Like the, the everything we need to understand is communicated, but there's nothing about any of this finale that just feels like really special um, in terms of just filmmaking. It just, it's like, eh, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a, like a less good Marvel movie. It felt like Dragon Ball Evolution. Wow, we were going there. Okay. <laughs> well, that's, here's the thing. It felt like Dragon Ball Z, but live action, because there's a lot of action going on, but it's all happening when we're not looking. It's So we're always having these talks. There's very few. The energy blasts feel like they came straight out of Dragon Ball. But Dragon Ball Evolution is so boring. <laughs> especially, that's, that's the live action movie that everyone hates, right? Yes, it yeah. is the one. It's and for multiple reasons. I hate it just because it's a dull movie and I I can the fact that it falls very little of the canon I don't really care about. Uh but it's just it's it, it by itself is just not a very good kung fu movie, which is what it's trying to be. Uh but the the energy they're flinging around feels like it's coming straight out of that live action movie and it's just dull. I mean the only good part, in, in my opinion, is the camera reveal that she's been casting the the runes around the edge of the hex. That's, yeah, that's the true. only part that I thought was actually interesting. It's like, oh, you actually learned from your from the character who's going to be your mentor probably later on. Yeah, it's like actually clever getting around action. Um, and like when vision when the visions are punching each other, you really get a, an appreciation for what like Zack Snyder brings to something like this. Like you compare, like there are several moves and moments that are taken like straight from Man of Steel, but through through Zack Snyder's eye versus through Matt Shackman's eye, it's just like it's not quite the same. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I don't think it's terrible. It's just meh. Uh, and it is. It, it's, it's one of those. It's one of those things that feels like this could have been about three times better if you'd have just tweaked a couple things to make it feel better. If that makes sense. And just spend more time on the characters and emotion. Yeah. And it doesn't help. This is really the first time Marvel's done any flying fighting. So. (laughs) Which is a very hard thing to to make look good. Like there's only a couple movies that ever make that look good. And I I suspect this show does not have the budget of a full Marvel movie. Yeah. It's not to the point where it's embarrassing, but you can tell. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I do love that, you know, the visions punch each other for a while, but I love that, that they are able to stop and have a philosophical discussion, which is just the most vision thing ever. 
Um, <laughs> just that is how a fight between two visions really should end, if we're being honest. Might we resolve this peacefully? Yes. yes. <laughs> just, Have you considered the ship of Theseus? <laughs> I request elaboration. Uh, and it, it's calling, hearkening back to that scene in Age of Ultron um, with Vision and Ultron in the forest, which I think is one of the best scenes in the entire mm-hmm. MCU. And just Paul Bettany calmly talking about... Um, are you familiar with the thought th- the thought experiment, the ship of thesis, in the field of identity metaph- metaphysics? Naturally. <laughs> like, of course I know about this. It's like, of course. And so, yeah, that, that whole conversation is, is wonderful. And just the whole, you know, who is the true vision? What, what is this the true ship? Is the memory the true vision? Is yeah. the, the physical in reali- being? In reality, neither, both are the true vision and neither are the true vision. Well, great. Uh-huh. You just cleared everything up. <laughs> But and I, I thought they were going to go to the point where Vision was going to convince White Vision that no, you're the true villain. At which point he would like self destruct himself. Um, uh, but instead, except like, I think they've got to be saving White Vision for something else. Yeah, yeah. Like, which is gets, why when he leaves, we never see him the rest of the episode, which annoys me. He releases his memories, so now he has all the memories of Vision. But um. Again, the comics, isn't he like a, an emotionless version or something? The white version, he is more emotionless, which I think we reference here, but it's like later on, he gets his emotion. He gets his emotions back and maybe we just skipped over the whole emotionless version. I don't know. I really don't know what they're doing with this character at this point. Yes, he just flies away. I do hope he's noticeably different from Vision. I don't want him just like, oh, he's back now. Like, I do hope it's either some, something definitively different. This is a different character. And uh, in, for the listeners, in case you've noticed that uh, you haven't heard a lot of James, uh, he's been kind of popping in and out of Skype. Apparently he's having internet troubles at his house. So uh, me and Drew are just going to keep going, try to get him back in. Uh, but if not, uh, he wants to be here. He really does. Mm-hmm. So um, you have anything to say about this episode, Drew, overall? It's a. It, 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 I like the closure that I guess it gives the whole show, but it does feel like it is noticeably weaker, and you can tell they kind of had they rewrote most of the episode in order to write a character out. So, mm-hmm. yeah. To to talk about that, um, apparently, according to uh, Matt Shackman, he said this on the uh, the podcast. Um, I think uh, Kevin Smith's podcast, Fat Man Beyond, which is a great title. Uh, he said that they had shot an entire uh, subplot involving Monica, Darcy, uh, Ralph, and Billy and Tommy, where they go into Agatha's basement to try and steal the Darkhold, which is her witch's book. Um, and then Senor Scratchy transforms into a demon, and there's a whole action sequence around that. Like So that was what those characters were going to be doing. But at some point during COVID, while they were editing... They decided to get rid of that subplot to focus back on Wanda, which I think is probably the appropriate choice. But yeah, if it, but and what they were, happens? They were also going to bring in Doctor Strange at some point, which I'm kind of glad they changed their minds on that one because I do like the idea of it focusing more on Wanda. Yeah, like is that similar to like why they didn't bring Luke into the Force Awakens? Where like that presence would just overwhelm everything, and you'd forget about the mm-hmm. characters we're supposed to be focusing on. So, but but the, the the problem with that is, it by the end it feels like Monica doesn't really do anything. We just forget about Ralph. 
Uh, and Darcy, I'm guessing Darcy just was not available for reshoots because. Well, I mean, she did drive the truck into Hayward's van and said uh, she's had a good line, good quip, but it's the only, her only line in the whole episode. I feel like she shot that over Zoom because it's like it's a shot that's yeah. kind of blurry. It's through the window. Um, but like, I, I don't think they ever had her on set, you know, in for the for the final stage of filming. Are you back, James? Mm-hmm. Yes, I am back. Hey, uh, we're talking about the finale now. Hey, glad I can make it. <laughs> so yeah, what are your thoughts on the finale? We were just talking about how COVID might have affected the story. Yeah. So, uh, I I like the finale. Okay. Um, I really like their last moments together. Um, you know, as she makes the choice to bring everything down. You know, but it it was it ended up being what I was hoping it wouldn't, which is people flying around shooting beams at each other. Uh, well, okay, and that's a bit harsh because I do like that there's still there's still kind of drama going on at different points during the action, like whatever. I think it's, it's in the finale, not the... Yeah, yeah, whenever everybody's... Whenever she's, like, releasing people and she's becoming more and more aware of what she was actually doing to them. Uh, like, so there's there's still... There's that running through it, um, but I, don't know, I think it's whenever it became clear that there was, I was hoping they were going to find a way to just not n- even need a, a full external villain at the end. Um, just be like, I don't, I don't know. It's, it feels like a Wanda's the villain. You've got it right there. Yeah. Wanda's the vi- villain well, of WandaVision. Let's be honest. That it would be again. I just, I keep going back to it. I, I like I like the weird trippy visuals of Legion if if that's just not clear yet. But I was hoping there'd be some way to like visualize an internal battle that she like has to go through. It'd be like if Scott to... Pilgrim you have Nega Wanda. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that scene is so amazing. Um thing is I can but, see that in the know, comics. Just... I could just see that happening there. I don't know what it'd be. I mean, but... you pretty much get that with Vision. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. That scene was awesome. I love that. That their battle is just like this, the philosophizing to each other. Um, but but yeah, I, I don't know. I was hoping that because she does feel like the villain for basically the whole thing, and like if they're if she has a villain herself, it's like her grief is the villain. I was hoping there'd be some way to physically present in a visually interesting way this internal battle with grief but a lot of the stuff that i really loved was kind of put a little bit to the side and it was just the bad guy is this witch and i've got to beat this witch now mm-hmm. and they, they do kind of soften the wanda as the villain the longer the episode goes like that that scene where all the townspeople kind of come in and confront her um, you have uh, Emma Caulfield coming from like, can I, you know, can you please like write a subplot for my daughter? Can she be, be the, oh, the twins friend? So, I just, can I just hold her? So powerful. Um, so hard to watch. Yeah. And, uh, the, uh, what's, what's the guy, what's the guy's name? Um, his coworker, uh, Norm. I don't know the character, the, the, his real name, but the name they always called him in the show was Norm. The guy Norm, where he's like, you know, when we when you let us sleep, we have your nightmares. Mm. And an interesting thing I noticed is that 
none of them are angry at her. They're they're just kind of they're fearful and they're pleading. Well, because um, they're, they're fearful, they're pleading, and they are exhausted. The they all of those characters look they are like they're physically exhausted in those and, scenes. And that's what made it that much darker to me. Which is like if they were angry and almost like. If they were angry and they were vocalizing that anger, that almost implies that they think they have a shot. Like, by yelling at you, like, they feel comfortable enough around her to express anger. But it feels like it's gone as on as long as it has been, and it's hurt as much as it has. And, like, they've just resigned themselves to this as a reality. Like, listen, I, all I want is this. If, if this could be all you could give me, that'd be that'd be all I need. Like, it's it's sad. Like, this is... They don't even have hopes for for ending this. They just they want something mildly better, just something to make it tolerable because the idea of it ending just seems foreign. I had a much, I guess, nicer read in that they are in her experience. They know every ounce of her pain because they have to live it right along with her. So it's like... They understand in a way. That's why they're not angry. But I like I like your read as well, which is the darker one. Yeah, and I do like that Wanda does seem to be genuinely ignorant of the full extent of the pain she is causing. I think in her mind, they were if she told them to be happy, they were happy. You know, still a horrible violation, but at least not suffering in the way they were. Because as soon as she learns that they were suffering, she's like, okay, this is done go i'm letting you go it, i really get the feeling that because she kind of saw the outside of effects of of the tv reality she had rationalized that what she was doing was a good thing for these people but when she yeah ra- the, the town was so terrible yeah at first when she finally realized what she was really doing that's when she started thinking, well, maybe I'm not doing the right thing here. Especially when the evil witch who's tried to kill my boys is, uh, you know, is saying, is showing me, hey, maybe this is not, she's almost torturing her with this, with, with, with what, with their truth. Yeah, and I feel like it, 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 this conflict ends a little abruptly. Like, she, she tricks Agatha, puts the runes up, takes her power, forces her to live as Agnes, the nosy neighbor for eternity, which is very cruel, but a little satisfying. And then I feel like the decision to drop the hex and give up her family comes kind of fast. Like, yeah, it just kind of happens to where she defeats Agnes and then they're all walking back to the house together and she's already made up her mind to do the right thing. I wish there was they played up the moment of choice there a little bit more. Wouldn't it have been cool if the episode was this weird, trippy... (laughs) Imagine how differently this would have played out had uh, Clint Barton been there. Yeah. Speaking of which, I do... I think he... I kind of think he should have been in this because he's always had a very special relationship with Wanda in Age of Ultron, in Civil War, even at the end of uh, Endgame. Like, there's been a real, you know, brother-sister relationship between the two. I kind of wish it was him instead of Monica Rambo to be there to talk her down in the end. Cause like the, the, the speeches he gives her in age of Ultron and in civil war are some of my all time favorite MCU dialogue. Like if we could have gotten another one of those, it would have been cool. 
Yeah, but I get the feeling the actual reason they chose Monica for this is what they're probably setting up for Mar- uh, the Marvels, as I'm guessing. But you got a Hawkeye show. You could set that up, too. Oh, that's very true. That's very true. We need to set up a Hawkeye show. I'm actually looking forward to that one. I'm looking forward to pretty much every MCU show. But anyway, do you guys feel like Monica's character paid off? Like not 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 talking about like, oh, future, she's going to be in the Marvels. But as far as this show, do you feel she was well used? Up until the last episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I think I've heard your criticisms before. It there for me, her character, I think it, it wasn't somebody where I needed a big pet. Like I, I think all I really needed from her was an enjoyable presence and like a just just a character that I, I liked to root for and like to watch on the outside of this thing. Yeah, and she's someone who is also suffering a similar grief as Wanda. She's, she's the person who can reach out and empathize. I guess, I, I think I would be fine with everything. I, I, I don't like her final exchange with Wanda, where she you know, Wanda's kind of having her walk of shame away from the house. All the townspeople are rightfully gla- glaring at her. And she comes up and says, you know, they'll never know what you sacrificed for them. I'm like, just stop, lady, please stop. She, like, I, I get it. She lost her fake family, but she only got her fake family by torturing an entire town. Like, there's an attempt at giving a little bit of moral absolution that I don't believe Wanda has earned at this point. It just rubbed me a little wrong to have her kind of. I don't know, try to make Wanda feel better at this moment. Where, no, she, she really deserves to be miserable for what she did. Honestly, what I think would have been better, and this is just me, you know, wishing, even though I, this is definitely not what happened. I, I wish that the fight was not between Wanda and Agatha, but was between Wanda and Monica. That should have been the big superhero yeah. fight that should have ended on. And Agatha should have been in the background just egging Wanda on. And then when Wanda finally comes to the realization of, hey, use the fight for Wanda to come to the realization this needs to end completely. And then that's when Wanda, you know, traps Agatha in the with the runes and causes her to. I like that's that. Just, it's just how I think it would have worked better. And plus that cements the idea that Wanda is the villain of the piece and Monica is the superhero of the piece. Instead of having this super amb- instead of having this super ambiguous nature for every single character. I like that a lot. Yeah, so going back to the final scene, I, I do love, like, I have a lot of complaints with this finale, but I think it, I love it because it got Wanda and it got Vision right. Like, that final scene between them in the house, and you're like, this is what the show has always been about, and as long as you get those two characters right, the show is going to be good. And that final scene where they're just kind of being together and the visions line, you know, I've been a voice with no body, a body, but not human. And now a memory made real. Who knows what I might be next. Um, and just, it's Paul Bettany being wonderful. And it's so sweet and tender as the, you know, the, the, um, the hex closes in and she gives up and she gives up the idyllic world. Like it gets what it needs to get right. And so like, I think that's why this is a good show. Like, yeah, I mean, that's that's why when it ended, I was like, 
you know what, I'm happy with this. I'm okay with this because, I mean, because it's kind of the end, you know, it's, we, we get all, the, the, the bulk of the episode is that stuff that I, I'm not a massive fan of, but when all of that is said and done and we get back to this house and we get back to these final moments between the two, I thought it was just genuinely like, like beautifully done. Yeah. I mean, this is probably one of my favorite TV shows in the last 10 years, uh, just because of how well it's handled. Uh, I, I love the idea that I had no idea, even though I knew I had been introduced to these characters literally a month before on complete accident. I liked how I had no idea how, where this show was going to go episode to episode. Yeah. The final episode, it does kind of peter out, but. I mean, this whole show has just been, it was the best thing I've, like I said, it's one of the best things I've watched in the last 10 years. So. Yeah. And I think it's, it's probably the biggest show, like kind of water cooler cultural phenomenon since game of Thrones. Like it's, it was on that scale. Um, it was every, everyone was talking about like normally with shows like this, it's, you know, all your film friends are talking about it, but this, no, your, your grandma was talking about it. Like it's, it got it. It got out there. It was. It was. It was so much fun. Real, real quick, I want to talk about the post credit scene. So the first post credit scene, um, you know, uh, uh, Jimmy Woo has taken charge. Hayward, uh, Hayward is getting arrested, and then Monica meets a scroll, a scroll, um, who says she was sent by an old friend of her mother's, uh, who'd like to meet her. So I'm guessing either uh, Nick Fury or Tal- Talos, which is honestly they're, they're both working together, so it doesn't really matter yeah. which one. Whichever, whichever Fury is hanging out on the space station we saw at the end of Spider-Man: Far From Home. Yeah, like, when is that gonna pay off? Like, uh, it's just that, that's a good question. Uh, but I guess it, it, yeah. So they're setting up the Marvels, um, and then the second post-credit scene, uh, Wanda's found a Bruce Banner's cabin in Alaska, and she's using her astral projection to study the Darkhold. Is Alaska where they said that was in his cabin up there? Or because the 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 explanation I heard of where she was was that was on the uh, that that cabin was outside of the uh, the lake that's now formed around where the oh, Sokovia was. I, I was just joking about it being Bruce Banner's cabin, oh, just because yeah, it looks like that. that. Like the helicopter shot coming up to it was very similar to the ending of the yeah. Incredible Hulk. I I just like I just like how there's a chance that. She and uh, uh, what is his name? Vision? Uh, no, the from uh, the Baron from Civil Zemo. War. Uh, Zemo. I just like the idea that in there's a chance that they're staring at each other across the lake unintentionally der- during that scene in Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Sorry, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Ah, I didn't. I never thought about it being there, but that would be cool. It kind of looked like the same scenery, but that just could be from them using the same shooting areas. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't know if this was directed by Matt Shackman or Sam Raimi, but I kind of hope it was directed by Sam Raimi because it's a cabin in the woods. It just seems right. This feels like it's a film budget shot. <laughs> if we're being honest, I'm assuming this was something shot for, uh, for, for Dr. Strange. Yeah. She hears uh, her children calling out to her from somewhere, which like mm-hmm. we, we thought they were just projections of her mind, but no, they seem to have some kind of being, uh, I guess multiverse of madness. She's going to be trying to save them. Maybe that's where Mephisto is. <laughs> I mean, you know, like if they're in hell or something, 
All right. So so that's WandaVision. Um, um, and, and to talk a little bit about the reception and the legacy of this show, the, the success Disney Plus has had is in, insane. Like, they came out the gate, they had The Mandalorian, and that became, oh yeah, I said since Game of Thrones, but kind of the biggest show since The Mandalorian season one, I would say. Um, yeah. But like, The Mandalorian came out, eight episodes completely took over the world. And that, that was their Star Wars debut, then their Marvel debut, WandaVision, just completely taking over the world. Like, the, the success Disney is having with The Mandalorian and WandaVision, I think, I, we're talking about last episode, I think it's going to change just how TV is produced, how we watch TV. Um, like, the whole, I think the whole landscape of television as a, as a cinematic format, I think, will be changed by these two shows on Disney plus um, like what it's going to look like. What, like, what are your thoughts on that? Drew Disney is doing such a good job with their TV shows at the moment. I mean, like you said, Mandalorian season one was such a hit and I enjoyed it so much that when season two was coming out at the same time as star Trek discovery season three was coming out and I'm a diehard Trekkie, as you know, the fact that I chose to watch Mandalorian <laughs> over Star Trek should tell you how much I I think Disney's doing so well. They really do know how to handle their 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 properties so well. And let's face it, the end of Mandalorian season season two, I think, has influenced a lot of how, what how they're going for with a lot of this. Um, I think a lot of stuff is I, up until I th uh, this. I it really feels like. Netflix did not have as much influence as I think they thought they did on how TV was going because we've almost returned to event television instead of just, oh, the whole thing's out now. No, it says now you have to make an appointment. You have to be there as soon as it comes out. I mean, the the first episode we talked about, episode five, was the last episode that I waited till I got off work to watch because I was nearly quote, nearly spoiled on the cameo. And as, at that point, it's like, oh, dude, I have to watch this before I go to work. So it's and when it's things like that, that's like you, you want to rearrange your schedule so that you're there when it goes live, I, I think is really what they're going to start aiming for instead of just hey, let's just throw everything out there and see what sticks. Um, so anything else either of you wanted to mention before we close out? Um. I love I have been missing theme songs, I think, for a couple of years now. Ah. Uh, and so this show is like a gift to me, even though uh, a couple of them were not as good as the others. So I just love I just I, I know you all usually talk about music uh, in the movie stuff, but those songs, all those songs, especially uh, it was Agatha all along, just have been the my favorites when they pop up on my uh, on my phone when I'm listening to music. So yeah, legit, legitimately good, like clever and funny, but also mm -hmm. like fun to listen to on their own. Yeah. Um, well, with so I would good. say with the exception of, and these are the two I'm not as big a fan on the like we talked about the one that's essentially the Office at a uh, different octave uh -huh. <laughs> or a different key and then the second one that's just called wandavision which i know they're wandavision yes because here's the thing that should that song that song would be 10 times better if they left those words out and just made it a, a uh, instrumental like obviously what they were basing it off of being the theme to be which and i dream a genie 
But it, it does feel faithful to the era. It does feel faithful to the era, but they should have not had them saying WandaVision every five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> That's that, that one annoys me just because it's like, you don't need to say this. And it really feels like you added this after the fact. <laughs> All right. Um, so that was our review of, uh, WandaVision, or at least uh, Drew and I's uh, James. James got in a couple <laughs> words here and there, and uh, he's gone again, unfortunately. Uh, but that was our review of WandaVision. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to please, uh, again, head over to iTunes and leave us a rating review. If you want to like us on Facebook, you can find us at Franchise Fatigue Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram as at Franchised Pod. Also, uh, we are part, along with uh, Drew and your show, we are part of the uh, Pop Americana Content Network. Uh, and you can find our show along with a lot of other cool shows at popamericana.wixsite.com slash popamericana. And speaking of your show, why don't you tell us about it, uh, Drew? Uh, yes, I am on. I am a co-host on the show called The Cellcast, where we review animated movies and television shows. Probably around when this comes out, we're going to be either on Despicable Me or DuckTales Treasure of the Lost Lamp. So uh, keep an eye out for that one, though. We just recorded our episode on the Black Cauldron this week, uh, the week we're recording this. So that episode should be out long before this episode comes out. So keep an eye out for that one. Yeah, I, I guess I should say find us in your favorite podcast catcher or you can find our website at the cellcast.podbean.com or join us over on uh popamericana.wixsite.com slash popamericana for along with uh, franchise fatigue. I should put all that in there. <laughs> uh, and you can find me on uh, Letterboxd and there's Gabriel Green. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram as Gabe the Great Green. Um, and I have a YouTube channel called Greenery01 where I put out uh, movie-based music videos and trailer mashups and stuff like that. Um, so next week, um, I know Falcon and the Winter Soldier is out, but I'm Having done Mandalorian and WandaVision on top of each other, I'm a little burned out on TV. So I think we'll put push off Falcon of the Winter Soldier for a while and uh, jump into another film series. And the next film series we are doing is the Harry Potter series. Um, this is a show I've wanted to do since since we started the podcast. Maybe I'll maybe I'll finally finish watching these movies. Now. Uh, <laughs> you got to read the books, too. No, in my. Oh, here's the thing. In my defense, I read the okay. books first. Okay. And I started watching the movies. I watched both uh, the first two. Something happened where I had to leave in the middle of the third movie and I never came back for some reason. They're definitely worth finishing. So, Yeah, I, I need to finish it. It's just it got behind with everything. Else. All right. Um, so until the next episode, we will see you uh, in the Wizarding World. But what is grief, if not love persevering? <laughs>